Maureen Milliken. <laughs> and this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Groovy Tube. And the Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yes. And it's episode 11. Yeah, and, and we're almost almost to the almost end of season three of the Brady Bunch. Yes. Yeah, and we have some good episodes today to talk and about. And t- so today we are going to be discussing... Oh, hey, before we do that, can I mention, because we got an email from a listener, and maybe other people are wondering, too... That we had started out, like, at the end of our show, we would say what our favorite quote yes, from the five or six yeah. episodes we talked about was. And we had kind of stopped doing that. And maybe we didn't say it on the show, but we referenced quotes as we talked. Yeah. We just figured it was superfluous. Yeah, yes. And which, which episodes are we talking about today? Well, we're starting today, Season 3, Episode 13, The Not-So-Rose-Colored Glasses. Mike attempts to surprise Carol with a photograph of the children for their anniversary. And I think it's their third anniversary. Episode 14, The Teeter-Totter Caper. Bobby <laughs> and Cindy try to prove their worth by setting a new world's teeter-totter record. And I just want to say you don't set a new record, you just set a record. That's right. That it's is correct. Episode 15, Little Big Man. Mm. Not to be confused with the movie with Big Dustin Little. Hoffman. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, I'm sorry. This is Big, Big Little, Little Man. Man. Big Little Man. Annoyed at being so small. What's new? Bobby tries exercises to make himself taller. Mm. Mm, yeah, I guess that's... Synopsis. Yeah. we got to get better synopsis. Episode 16, Do Re Mi. Greg needs $150 to record his original song, so he convinces his siblings to join him. But Peter's voice may hamper the process. Aww. Episode 17, Jan's Aunt Jenny. Mm. Jan finds a picture of her Aunt Jenny when she was the same age, Aunt Jenny, as Jan, and discovers that they are lookalikes. And you know with Jan, nothing's going to be easy. No, poor Jan. And today's final episode, The Big Bet. The loser of Bobby and Greg's bet must do everything the winner says. <laughs> you know that can't end uh, well. And good. I want to say before we get started about Jan, that's one of the episodes you have to kind of watch a bootleg one on YouTube because it's not on the regular downloads. I think it could be because imaging I It seems like we've noticed that anytime there's a, either a song in it or a famous person in it, mm. so there's probably some kind of royalty thing. But anyways, when I was looking that up, I tried to look them up by the episode's title because it's quicker that way. There are many episodes that are Jan, something with Jan in the title, like mm. Jan's this or Jan's oh. that, which I never noticed. More so than any of the other kids. Well, she She's the most fucked up one. Yeah, she really is. Apparently. Or at least the most obviously fucked up one. Yes. The, Poor the Jan. The one whose, whose stuff is right out there for everybody <laughs> Yeah, Jan. So we might as well start with so, the first one. So it opens, Jan's riding her bike. With no helmet because it's the 70s. Yes. And it's one of those typical banana seat, you know, and she's riding through the streets of their town, which... The city. Of the city. As they call it. And we're like, hmm, because then Mike comes home. Yeah, Alice is peeling potatoes and he's as usual. Very groovy. His suit is very seventies groovy. Well, he comes in the kitchen and he's obviously he's plotting something with Alice because he's kind of whispering. Well, yeah, it turns out she's going to fake a toothache for something. We don't know, really know what it is. Yes, but then we do find out as they talk that he's going to bring the kids to have some photograph taken. Right. And Alice points out it's hard to put anything over on Mrs. Brady. Yes, but as Carol comes in, she feigns a to- Alice feigns a toothache and manipulates Carol into driving her to the dentist. And Mike feigns concern. And the phone rings. It's Mr. Brenner from the playground, so I guess he's Uh-oh. just some guy that hangs around the playground all the time. The playground. The, like a supervisor or some kind of a... Yeah. Jan apparently has stolen, stolen a, a bike. bike. And Carol doesn't believe it. Carol's like, 
What? But no way! There say, was an eyewitness, though. But, but I, I have to say, Carol doesn't believe it, but I believe it, because Jana's fucking crazy, and who knows what she's going to do That's next. true. But they look out the window, and Jana's <laughs> like, right. <laughs> yeah, and Jan's wobbling down the driveway on a bike. Mike's like, I'm going to go see, as they look out the window, I'm going to go see what this is all about. And Jan says hi, very innocently, and they confront her. One of them says, it's not your bike, your bike has a dent on it. Well, first they say she's been accused of stealing a oh. bike, and she says, why would I do that? I have my own bike. I have bike. my own bike. And then Mike points out that there's a dent where she hit Bobby's whatever. And Probably because she couldn't fucking bike. see. The thing that struck me as interesting is everybody could tell, I mean, okay, we find out she needs glasses, spoiler alert, but everybody could tell it wasn't her bike, but her. Like, if the bikes look so much like, how are the other people... Well, the thing that bothered me about this plot is that her bike would have still been at the playground. Yeah. So wouldn't he say Jan took home the wrong bike? Obviously, yes. their bikes are similar, but yeah. her bike is still here, and this other chick's bike's gone. Right, but Jan's like, oh, it is And she's like, what a dumb head I am. I know. How could I have taken someone else's? I'm so sorry. She almost seems a little... You can feel the crazy couple Well, yeah, she's there. always like that. Carol says she's sure it was just a mistake. So I think they believe Jan. Well, Jan said, well, I was probably in a hurry to get home, blah, blah, blah. Well, and Carol's like, it does look like your bike. So I don't know why they're, they jumped to the conclusion that it was stolen. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, I mean, okay, I know it's a plot, but come on. Right, right. So Carol is bringing Alice to the dentist. Jan has to go to the, you know, switch the bikes. And Mike's like, hurry back. We got to leave. And Jan asks him, do you think Mom suspects anything? And he goes, well, she suspects I'm someone who forgets our anniversary. Ha, 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 ha. They're in the living room. Carol is apparently upstairs getting ready to take Alice. She probably has to put makeup on or something. And Alice and Mike are, well, Mike's like, how are you going to fake it? And Alice stuck gum in her jaw She's to make so it look clever, swollen. But she forgets which side. <laughs> because Carol comes on and she said, wasn't your other side swollen? And ha, ha, ha. The next scene, they're at the photographer's studio. And this is like the world's worst photographer. I know. I think Mike maybe just went cheap. I know. Because the guy is bad. <laughs> and first of all, he's using a camera. That's and, like a hundred years ago. Yeah, ahead. where you have to put the slide of film. Although, I will say those take better, they take better they photographs. They, they take do. very good photographs. And it, we have to go through what I hate. And we see this in a couple of these episodes we're going to talk about today. An extended one-joke gag. They're all gathered, and he's about to take the photo and he realizes he forgot the film. So he looks around, he looks everywhere, he's very disorganized, he finds the film, he's about to take the photo, they all smile, say cheese, and he realizes, no, he wanted color, not black and white. So he has this look for the color film, blah, blah, blah. And it's this lengthy, extended gag. I yeah. just find that stuff boring yes. when that happens. You know what's going to happen. You know what the gag is. Just get it over with. Bobby is wearing a really ugly leisure suit with a tie. But the rest of them, their clothes, they have different style clothes on. It was jarring to me. Mike's a little annoyed by the disorganization. And Gregory Gaylord, the tower, points out he's Gregory Gaylord, professional photographer, and he knows what he's doing. Yeah, Mike. And Jan is squinting. Yes, yeah, so this is our second clue. Mike's like, Jan, stop squinting. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he says it in kind of an asshole. Yeah, Jan, too. stop fucking yeah. squinting. Yeah. You Jesus. know, one, I think one thing with Jan is, one reason maybe it added to her psychosis is the fact that she's always getting crapped on when other people aren't. Yeah, I know, that's true. The photo will be framed and ready next week, and Mike oh. says, don't deliver it. And I want to point out, too, that twice, this is the first time of the episodes we're going to talk about today, 
But twice in today's episode, somebody asks how long they've been married. Mike says three years. I think in the next episode we talk about Carol yes, says that. And then the person makes Aunt a joke about them having six kids in three years. But it's almost the exact same joke. Wouldn't Greg, you just assume? Well, yeah. But Gregory Gaylord says, rush, rush, rush. Everything I know. Is rush, rush, rush. Everything is rush, rush, rush. Now, they have this, like, stereotypical gay guy yes, type of thing do, going. Like B.B. Galini's secretary. Yes, they have flamboyantly... Well, Gregory Gaylord isn't really flamboyant. And you wonder how Robert Reed deep down went. I think he was a self-hating gay man. He may have been. And Mike says he wants it to be a surprise, so do not deliver the Mm, photograph. Don't deliver it to the house. And he does tell him he has a fine-looking family, which... Well, they're good-looking kids, yeah, because they're passed by a Hollywood director. Mike gets home early again. He's always coming home early from work. You You would think that Mr. Phillips would have an issue I don't think Mr. Phillips is there very often. He's on his yacht. Mrs. Denhoff. She sends them a letter. They did that before. Well, you know, how else are they going to make sure they... Jan's grades are falling off. And so we're her, like, she's not concentrating. It's just not like her. So they call Jan into the study, and they force her to read the letter. And my first reaction is, oh my God, Jan can't read, and she's been <laughs> faking it all these years, and she's finally been found out. But no, that's not what it is. And they exchange looks but, and make her read it again. But yeah, because... Can't see it very well. She she squints at it and holds it up to her face. And another thing, your eyesight doesn't suddenly go unless. So you'd think this would somebody would have noticed this coming on, but she fakes that she read it and she says says something like, "Oh yeah, I'll try to do better" or some standard remark. No, I think she read it. She obviously she probably didn't read the whole thing yes. or had trouble reading it. She makes some generic comment, and Mike forces her to read it out loud. Because instead of just having a conversation with somebody, you have to do a, humiliate them a little first. Or yeah, why can't you just say, look, what's going on? Yeah. He and Carol exchange looks yes. before he makes her read it again. They're like, mm, yes. oh, let's, we let's need to, make her right, we need to, suffer. Right, we need to humiliate her a little. <laughs> and I think she needs glasses, and she's like, glasses? I look positively goofy! When Bernie McGuire sees me, he'll go bananas! And Carol, of course, not getting the hip lingo of the kids these days, says, that's bad, isn't it? Like, you can't tell by the context. And she goes, it's the worst! And, and then she, like, down. flounces and out. She, yeah, she... So then, Mike is driving into the driveway. Alice comes out to catch him. She wants to meet him in the garage. Yes, and this is when we find out that Gaylord ignored Mike's directive forgot. He, you know. not to deliver it at home. She hid it in the garage because Mrs. Brady won't look there. She's been snooping. We find out Mrs. Brady's been snooping all over the house. And my thing is, first of all, didn't they find out with the diary episode that the garage is a bad place to hide? Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Second of all, they put it right in plain sight. I know. find out later what a mistake that is. And it's just a bad place to put something. Well, okay, so Mike can't hide it at his office. He couldn't have it delivered to his office. Or he can't put it in the car and take it in the trunk where Mrs. Brady's going to look and take it to his office. Or... Hide it in Alice's room. That's what I thought, Alice's room. Which I guarantee is the one place in the house Mrs. Brady isn't going to snoop. Oh, you never know. know Maybe she will. Maybe she will. Alice is her employee. That's pretty extreme. I know. I know it wouldn't work for this particular plot, but maybe it would have worked for a better plot. Well, I was thinking that. Like, Alice could have said, I hid it in my room because she won't look there. Right. But Mike says, oh, she'll never think to look in the garage. And Alice says, well, actually, she already has. She's already snooped in the garage, so she's not going to snoop her again. Like, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't give a shit what I get for a gift. I know. And speaking of extended tedious scenes, the whole Carol snooping subplot on this, 
That's all there is to it, Carol Snoopy. I know, it's stupid. It's stupid. It's, I think Rob Reed would call it ninnyism. Yes. Carol. It's childish. But, <laughs> Anyways. But obviously Carol is desperate to know what Mike got her for an anniversary. Maybe she yeah. wants to make sure that whatever she gets him is, is good. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. She points out later she got, she got him a gift. And she knows he got her a gift, and she wants to know what it is. I don't I'll see what difference it makes. During one of the, the snooping... This is the first time I've seen this particular outside shot of the house, although I've noticed it since this episode. They show kind of, not the front one, but it kind of shows a side driveway. Yes, yeah, so there's and the car driving the in. Garage. It is nothing. Does ah. not... I know it, I know, but when you see just the front, you kind of can imagine how maybe it matches up. This does not match up. At all. This was the point I was trying to make when the smoking episode where yes. I said Craig would have seen him coming. Yes, yes. I think it was the smoke. I can't remember what yes. it was. So, but, yes. And anyway, Craig would have seen somebody coming to the front door. And there is an there's an under the house There's garage. an under the house garage, which means that there's also a kind of goes down a hill. So yes. they couldn't be like walking out unless their kitchen and family room yes. were like in a lower level. Lower level. It wouldn't, it just doesn't make sense. It and doesn't. It, it upset me very much. And, uh, it's, it upset me as a child. And it upsets me now. It didn't really upset me when that I was much a kid. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out. It, well, there is that website was, now where they have floor plans of all the people. But anyway. in any case. Oh, and of course, Mike. Alice here is trying to help. Alice is helping him be duplicitous. Of course she is. But Mike has to point out, you're talking a little like your meatloaf. A little bit of everything and all mixed up. And they both have a good laugh at that. And, you know, Alice is like the most rational, hardworking, and helpful person in the house, yet all she gets is shit from people. Well, she's I, the employee. Yes, and I just want to point that out. Oh, I know. She gets paid for it. But So Carol and Jan come home with Jan's Well, Bob, Bobby and Cindy are doing a jigsaw puzzle. Yes. Before they come in, they're laughing about Jan, and Mike overhears them, and he says, you better not make any jokes. Time for a lecture. Bobby can't color four eyes, and he says, he's wearing a very groovy shirt, by the way. Of course he is. Oh, I know what I wanted to say about that shirt. You know those annoying commercials that are on TV now that make it sound like the guy is curing cancer or something where how he couldn't find a shirt that a man could wear untucked and look good in? No, because I, no. Okay, there are these commercials, <laughs> and they must be on MSNBC because that's all my <laughs> Yeah, I know, that's all And I don't watch TV, I watch my iPad. And these commercials are so self-important, they make me laugh. The first time I saw one, I thought it was a joke, but it's not. This guy spent years looking for a shirt that looked good untucked as a man. And, yes, I know, my reaction, you're looking okay. at him, yes. And it's just him striding down the street, you know, talking on his cell phone and all this, wearing this shirt that looks a little too small for him, but it's untucked, and it's untucked, and he has a website and all this. So Mike, in this episode and a later one, is wearing shirts that not only look good untucked, but look like they could be this shirt. And, okay, this is 40 years before this guy supposedly invented his untucked Sure. He probably watches the Brady Bunch, I guess. Possibly, but he didn't say he stole this idea from Mike's wardrobe. Ah. You have to see one of those commercials. Oh, God, I'll look it up. In oh. any case, Mike says, and Bobby's like, she'll know they're just jokes and not understanding. I remember when Liz got glasses and we called her egg eyes because yeah, they were <laughs> egg-shaped. Egg but Bobby says, not knowing his sister that well, apparently, she'll know they're just jokes. And Mike Duh. says, people don't like those personal jokes. How would you like it? How do you like it if someone called you Shorty? And Bobby's like, I wouldn't care. And so then Cindy calls him Shorty and he gets all pissed off and tells her to cut it out. But when Jan comes in, 
They pretend her glasses look really neat. I actually thought those glasses looked good on her. I had glasses very, very similar, similar when I got my first glasses. When I, was I didn't think she looked bad in glasses. Room. Carol and Mike leave. Mike says they look good, and then they, Carol yeah, and Mike they leave. leave. The room, leaving Jan, <laughs> leaving Jan to With the two stupidest, <laughs> the two dumbest people in the family. Although I think Bobby's smarter than Peter, actually. And Cindy says they make you look real smart, and Bobby says they make you look like a school teacher. And Jan says. Great, I wanted them to make me look groovy. And Bobby says, you do look groovy. And Cindy! Cindy says, yeah, and we're not just saying that because Dad told us to. Cindy, you're such a fucking moron. I know, and then Bobby said something like, and he didn't tell us not to call you (laughs) four-eyed. And then Jan storms out of the room. I expect a more of a reaction to her. And then Bobby and Sonny just kind of look at each other and shrug, like, what's her problem? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, screw her. Later on in the family room, Carol is snooping all over the family room. Alice catches her. And Carol's like, can't you give me a hint? And Carol actually accuses Alice of conspiring with Mike. Which she is. Which she was. Jan is coming in from the living room and she's not wearing her glasses. Well, he overhears Carol accusing and cajoling Alice. Oh, yes. She overhears them. She she knows they're in there. Yeah. Yeah. So she stops and puts her glasses on very sneakily. And then she kind of skips into the kitchen and she's going to the library. But then she's out on the driveway going to get on her bike. She's looking around furtively. She takes her glasses off and puts them in her purse. And then we see Marsha. Who must have been right there. Marsha was walking up the driveway kind of cut to her when yeah I know but it's like come on Jan and Marsha's scandalized Marsha's like Ugh, what are you doing Jan you're supposed to wear them she gives her a big lecture and she's gotta go meet Bernie McGuire at the library he hasn't seen her in glasses and, and, yet. She, and Marsha says well I think you're being dumb but they're your eyes <laughs> I know. Marcia. Then we cut to another pointless scene of Carol snooping. Later in the garage, Greg's sweeping up some leaves from the in fake the trees. And the stupid picture we see. It's is, just like right in plain sight. Paper. It's right in plain sight, leaning against the back of the garage, where frankly, you could actually hit, accidentally hit it with the car. Or anything. Anything could happen. The basketball could hit it. I know. I know. Basketball. It's a jam. <laughs> <laughs> weaving up the driveway, squinting, and Greg's like, Jad, Jad, Jad. So she's apparently deaf as well as blind. She crashes right into like, so she can't put on the brakes or anything either. So she's like, turn it to Helen Keller or something. I know, that's what I don't get. And she freaks out. Oh, it's ruined! Because she's crashed into the picture. Uh, Yeah, she's like, I totally ruined it. And at the time, I'm like, well, you know, the guy must have negatives, which they do mention. It was totally smashed. The the photograph. I mean, normally the the photograph would be just cracked and you just have to get a new frame, but the the photo is. And so the boys are in the room trying to fix it. And the photo's like crumpled and torn. Yeah. And the frame is broken and the glass is broken. Oh, but you missed. In between that, there was another snooping thing where I Mike kind of has. Skipped yeah, because it. it's stupid. Because okay. the whole snooping thing just. They probably so much, didn't have 22 minutes, so they had to add some of those scenes. You know, I feel that way on some of these episodes, like because Lloyd Schwartz has talked in his book about the time elements and how you have to get it right down to the second. And some of these annoying extended scenes are that. And I'm like. 
And I know I'm not a TV writer, so if I can't, I just write a couple more lines of dialogue or I know. something uh, interesting. Anyway. Like you were said, they were in the boys' room trying to fix the photo. Jan comes in, and she has talked to the photographer. He's lost the negative. So he said that they can pose again. But nobody has any money. Yeah, because he's going to let them pose again for free, but he's going to charge him for developing the photograph. Yeah, so and chances uh, she'll take care of it. She's yes. going to go prostitute herself on Sunset Boulevard. You can just go kiss some blowjobs yes. behind the school. says, but where are you going to get the money? And Jan goes, what does it matter as long as I get it? <laughs> Alice is in the living room. Oh, oh, well. And Greg comes downstairs in a suit. Alice says, what are you doing in a suit? And, and he's, he's like, I got a date. I look really good for this date. And it's bullshit. So she goes back to vacuuming. And Peter and Bobby come down dressed so, uh, up. We have another one of those extended scenes where the kids are all dressed up, trying to get out of the house and having bullshit Well, Alice is suspicious. But, you know, Alice, for the amount of time she's vacuuming, that rug is disgusting. I know. You well, can... she always vacuums in the same spot. If you've noticed, it's not like she's near the stairs at one point and then went no. over by the... The girls are dressed up. They're sneaking oh. out and they run into Alice. No, they run into Carol. They get past Alice, but they, Carol's coming in the front door, and she says, oh, girls, and she's holding her gift, probably oh, yeah. for Mike. And so they get to Gregory Gaylord's. First of all, oh, they, give him- they don't want Mike to know oh, that they yes. shot the photo, and Greg realizes when Brady, which may be why Gaylord is Gregory, realizes right when Gaylord's about to take the picture that they're not in the same order. So they shift order, but because we're not morons, we realize Jan is wearing her glasses, which she wouldn't have been in the first yes. photo because Mike told her she was squinting. So they take the photo. I'm surprised he didn't he didn't ask her to remove them just because they glint sometimes yes. when you take a photograph. But true, but not that I'm a again, professional photographer. Again, there would have been no plot. Yes. And Carol and Alice are in the kitchen. Making breakfast. I wish somebody would make me. I know. I, you know, I'd be fat, though. If somebody would make all my meals, I would be thinner because I'd have them make me healthy, like Oprah does. Yeah. You know, have them make me healthy. Except for it didn't work meals. for her, did it, so. No. I feel her pain. But, but you Mike's know. Mike's wearing a very groovy shirt. Yeah. First, before Mike comes in, Carol says, well, you know how husbands are, because they're talking about how she doesn't know what he's getting her. And Alice yes. is like, no, I don't. Yes. But at and least my husband that I don't have isn't gay, so. Yes. And then Mike and Carol have a cutesy discussion about their anniversary. And she sits on his lap and yes. makes so yes. with him. And then we have a scene where they're giving them, they all, the kids all come rushing in with the gifts. And we have surprise! And Mike's like, well, husband first, and hands Carol the wrapped picture. Carol unwraps it, she loves it, she looks at it, and she says, oh, Chan, you wore your glasses! And Mike's like, what? Yeah, Mike looks alarmed. And then everybody leaves the room without opening the other presents. I know. And then Mike very grimly asks Chan to stay behind. This is a big deal. <laughs> something happened without his knowledge. And he you know confronts what? her. But uh, well, I have to say something here. Now, they go into the living room to find a place to hang the photograph. But at Later, the end, we find out they didn't hang it there. No, they didn't. It's Maybe it's like that time that the six of us... Got that fo- horrible, horrible photo taken yeah. for Mom and Dad's anniversary that somehow has resurfaced. Worst photo ever. And we all went after school kind of like this. Got semi-dressed up, depending on... And it was it must have been when I was a senior I was school. like in eighth grade, I think, yeah. yeah. I was a senior in high school. It was school. their 20th anniversary, and right? The re- yeah. Which would have been 1979. Yes. And the reason I know, aside from that, that I was a senior in high school is because it's the one year of my life, for some reason, I tried to have my hair perm. Oh, yeah. And it was awful because my hair is very straight, like straw. 
and it permeated. It just it was a very bad, and I can't even remember the person horrible. taking the photo. I remember going to the photographer. It was somewhere in within walking distance of our house. But we all look our hairs awful. I know. Are awful. We all look awful. I know. And then to surprise mom and dad, we put it on the mantle, and neither of them noticed. It. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe what we should have done is just taken it and hidden it, and never had them see it. Yeah, they like it though. Yes. Well, you know, they created us so they can't admit that something of us looks off. But in any case... So he calls her back in. Is there something you need to tell me, Jam? Yeah. Instead of saying, Jam, why are you wearing your glasses? I hate that shit. It's like, can you just fucking ask the question? Just ask the question. And he's really... I think he's way more upset than the situation calls for. Because all he knows right now is they had the picture retaken. I know. The only reason he knows is because Jan has glasses on... Well, so why does he immediately... And when you think about it, he didn't see, like, he didn't, that we know of, he didn't unwrap the picture and look at it. He knew it was in the garage wrap, but he didn't say, oh, I want to look at it, or we don't know if he got a proof or anything. Uh, Anyway. Jan immediately confesses, it was all her, you can't blame the other kids. And he does make a good point that she could have crashed into something much worse. She could have gotten hit by a car. Well, she could have made the point that that was a fucking dumb place to put the picture. And aside from the fact that she was riding around without her glasses on, and give us a break, she's a 12-year-old kid, that you don't put a fucking picture... (laughs) Like in the the back of the garage where a car could bump it or something. And he's going to ground her from riding her bike for two weeks. Well, he says, as a little reminder... I'm afraid I'm going to have to ground you <laughs> for two weeks from riding your bike. And she's like, can she you goes, pick another punishment? You can't ground me from riding my bike. <laughs> kind of like the gift, gift of, of the magi. magi. That's yeah. what I thought. And he immediately looks chastened. And then he's like, well, I guess it's punishment enough. Yes. And sad music plays. And then she says she can sell her glasses. And Mike uh, even uh, says maybe we can find a way to get that bike back. So, all of a sudden, he's moved on. He's not <laughs> he doesn't care. He, he, he doesn't care. Pants, so that's yeah. all he really cared about. And, and the tag. They're um, hanging the picture. Where are they hanging it? In their bedroom. Yeah. And their bedroom looks like huge. I know, and it's made out of, and it has white brick walls. They have a double fireplace. They yeah. have a fireplace oh, yeah. in the den and in the living room, so I think it goes up into their bedroom. In yeah. my imagination, that's... And so, I guess the subplot of this episode was Carol snooping. It wasn't much... No, because then Alice tells them she did find out oh. she had three cavities. Yes. Ha, 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 ha. All's well that ends well in this Shakespearean <laughs> Yes. Episode 14, the teeter-totter caper. And I had some issues. With I have many issues. Many, many issues. The first one is Alice and Carol doing their women's work in the kitchen. Alice is working. Carol's sitting at the table opening mail. Oh, yeah. She's all excited because cousin Gertrude, and we know she must be ugly because her name's Gertrude. Oh, all yeah. To the Gertrudes and Trudies out there. I mean, facetious because of the show, is finally getting married. And And she has weirdly sent her invitations a week before the wedding. Oh, it's like a week from Sunday. Yeah. It's like a Sunday night. No, she said she's getting married a week from Sunday because I thought that was weird. Mike comes in and he says he's going to faint. He can't believe that Gertrude finally snagged a man. Later in the show, we find out that she spent 25 years, according to Mike, looking shopping for shopping for a husband maybe she's shopping because she's picky and she wants the perfect guy right and and bobby and cindy come in and they're excited they want to go and carol's like oh i'm sorry it's just for the grown-ups and then it turns out also for marsha and greg so it's probably just 12 and older but now i have an issue with that either invite all the kids or none yes you know what i mean well Gertrude doesn't have kids so she wouldn't so she wouldn't understand but we would have no 
Plot. Okay. If it weren't for that. So, yeah. Cindy and Bobby are bummed out, and then it shows Greg and Peter. They're fixing Marsha's radio, and Bobby wants to help. But, but he's too young, he's too little, he's not gonna... And yeah, it's too tough. Marsha and Jan are painting a chair in the garage, and Cindy wants to help, and gets the same feedback. I'm seeing it's trend. not a game, Cindy. Yes, I, oh, I love that. And poor so, Cindy's all bummed out. She's, we're seeing a trend, and so she and Bobby sadly, sit on the teeter-totter. Well, first, she's on the swing set, and Bobby comes out and sits on the teeter-totter. Right, and she comes over. Was there ever a teeter-totter no, there? No, so they're sulking in the backyard, and they silently begin to teeter-totter with each other, and then they begin to gripe. Everyone treats them like babies, and Bobby says they have to do something important. And that'll, that'll show, show them. them. Right, and it's got to be something really really important to show them that little kids can do something important too and later they're on the swings and they still can't think of anything they have all these stupid ideas so they can die or go into the elves or something but then they decide to go and watch cartoon king yes which cindy explains twice it's going to be starting soon so it isn't on yet so we understand why you're actually this, watching some kind of news but it's the tail end of the news Marsha wants her dress hemmed. Yeah, here, Alice, hem my dress. It's too long, even though it's a mini dress. She wants an inch shorter. And Alice is like, okay. And somewhere in the scene, a reference is made to Jan being almost 13. And we're like, okay, Jan's almost 13. Yes. Yes, because Jan and Marsha are talking about how romantic it is that Gertrude's finally getting married. And Jan says, I wonder if I'll ever get married. And Alice is like, well, you're almost 13. You better start. No, joking. She's joking. There are at least three, and I very easily could have this one because it's so annoying to me. Reference, joking references to Alice. Oh yeah, at least three. There's, I mean, every show has at least one. Yes, and then we go back to Cindy and Bobby. Yes, watching TV, and we find out as they're watching TV that two college age guys are trying to set. The teeter-totter record. They're at a hundred hours, and the record is a hundred and four hours. Twenty-four. One hundred twenty-four. And it shows a photo of them. I know, a photo of them teeter-tottering, and they're in a... Actually, they look like they're sleeping. (laughs) They're in a setting. (laughs) It looks exactly like the Brady's backyard. Yes. I mean, could they at least have put, like, a fake something? No. I don't they, know, no, like a college have. campus behind them? No, they couldn't them? have. Bobby and Cindy think they, they can break that. Do they realize that's, like, five days? No, they don't. Nobody in the show seems to realize that. It's the next morning. Carol's agonizing over the wedding present for Cousin Gertrude. Yes. Um, She wants something different. Bobby and Cindy come in and they tell her they're going to set a teeter-totter record, and Carol obviously isn't listening. Yeah, she's like, okay, bye. Have fun. After they tell Carol that, she starts agonizing again, and Alice says, she already has the best gift, a husband. Right. Maybe the writers think it's okay because Alice is making the jokes about herself. Yeah. The character of Alice, that type of character making fun of herself, is in so many sitcoms. I know. I was thinking about this the other day. Back to Bobby and Cindy, Mike... They're teeter-tottering. He's leaving to go on an appointment, and they tell him about the record, and he's like, oh, great, bye. He's not listening, as usual. So Alice comes out, and they tell her they want her to tell him what time it is. Yes, and it's 8.03 a.m. Yes. And so nobody tells them five days from now, around the same time, is when you'll be done. And we see Jan and Marsha wearing the same dresses they wore for the photo. Yeah, and they're trying them on to see how they look because they're so excited about the wedding. And fighting over looking in the and mirror. And I, I wondered if that, that was a bit do, improvised because of the way been. they're laughing. Because yes. Jan goes to look in the Marsha's like, you're in my way. And I then know. Jan's like, very yeah, they were, they were like laughing while they were doing it. And the boys bring the, the two older boys, yes. they fixed. Are like, why are you guys getting ready? Like, it's a week from now. And they're like, well, you, you know, we just want to make sure 
or we look at whatever. And the boys make fun of the wedding. And they make fun of marriage in general. And Marcia says, the wedding is the most romantic thing that can ever happen in a girl's life. And the boys make some anti-marriage jokes. And I don't necessarily disagree. I didn't disagree with them, but I thought they were more misogynist than... Like, first of all, what do boys that age know about weddings and marriage? But the jokes were basically more... The whole point was to show how silly women are. Yes, for wanting to get married. what silly things... And how men don't want to get married. Right. Which I have found in my life the opposite is... Getting married is all a woman's idea, and men just kind of go along with yes. it because that's what the women want to do, and how silly women are to think this is important, mm-hmm. and how young women start, which in some ways they do. They do. Thinking this is important. And I think it's even worse now. And these jokes continue throughout the show, yeah. and I found it very wearing. It bothers me that this level of misogyny, and people may think I'm overreacting, but you think are some of the things these guys say. I found it bothered me that that was acceptable and that women could be demeaned just routinely as a joke on a uh, yes. show, basically for kids or a family yeah. show. You know, it's, and it's funny. It's and the, the next scene is Alice in the kitchen. She's making lunch, so we know that. Lots of sandwiches. So we know that time has passed. Carol comes back. She got a silver frog, which I didn't know what that was either. But she explains what it is, and it's kind of weird. It's almost like it's a product placement. I know. It's like a bowl that has a little folder in it to put stems in, so it would be small flowers, or you could use it as a candy bowl or whatever. Yes, and it's, she explains the whole thing, and you almost wonder if somebody's wife is selling these. I know. Alice points out she's making sandwiches for Mr. Teeter and Ms. Todd. Miss, probably she said Miss. And Carol's like, oh, they're still doing that? I didn't think they were still And Carol wants them to get off the teeter-totter to eat. She totally does not get the whole record-setting thing. And she makes them promise to get off when they get tired. And they also don't give them their milk. They just give them their sandwiches and then they take it. They need the milk to keep their strength up. Now, the next thing kind of made me laugh. Right, when Alice is making a grocery list, <laughs> yes. the sausage. No, wait, that's a different episode. That's a different one. When she's making the list, her looks on her face. She turns on a radio on the kitchen table that's never been there before and will never be there again. We hear a cliché Italian accent yeah. that, to me, who has heard a lot of Ital- real Italian accents in my life, oh. sounds like... Somebody who's not Italian doing a fake Italian. Instead of trying to scramble around the kitchen doing everything to because he's explaining. Why don't you the recipe. write it down? Yes, he's explaining the recipe <laughs> and she's scrambling around the kitchen trying to follow it while he's saying it. While he's saying it, although it's spaghetti sauce, so it's like. Uh, but although I'll say for a TV show that type of thing happened all the time like and I love yes. Lucy and stuff so it's not unusual Cindy yeah, calls her Alice has to go out and take Cindy's spot while she goes to pee I'm assuming yes. and it seems like from the way the scene is written that she's done that throughout the day yes that they have recruited her Mike uh, comes home while she's doing this yeah and Alice is on the teeter-totter although she's a little farther down because she weighs so much more yes. than Bobby's and Mike is like so the kids are really serious about and then they show Carol watching out the window and Mike comes and grabs her from behind and rubs himself against yes, her. And she's very concerned. She's shaking her head and she's like, do you think we ought to let him keep going? She's very concerned and about And Mike's just like, yeah, they'll be fine. He doesn't yeah. give a shit. And then we're back out in the yard. Marsha, Peter, Greg. They're all kind of heckling them. Yes. Well, and Jan is helping in the kitchen, which yes. is nice of her. And Peter says, why don't you quit? I think it's dumb. Which, of course, is going to galvanize them into continuing. It would me. Yes. And two men come into the yard. Yes, in suits. And it's Winters from the Daily Chronicle. And the same photographer yeah. that came 
the uncredited character <laughs> who has no lines from he just leers at everybody from the episode where Carol wrote her her thing from Woman's World. Peter goes running into the house. Mom and Dad, these guys are here. Yeah, Mike looks rightly concerned. Mike looks annoyed. He he's like, what the hell? So he goes out there, and Winter says. <laughs> So Winter starts. <laughs> it was very realistic. He had a yes. very loud outfit. Yes, out. because we know that journalists media, are media. Yeah, and they are lower you class. Admit. And he says to Carol, like, "I'm sure you're very proud of your kids." And she tries to comment, and he writes down, "She's very proud." Blah blah. He goes, "I'm sure you're very concerned." And she starts to talk, and he goes, "Mother," and then he goes, "No, whole family, very concerned." <laughs> and you can laugh. But I worked with a sports writer when I was a sports editor who would be on the phone interviewing, and he's a so coach, would you say the fact that your kicker is out for this game means blah, 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 blah. And you could see the coach probably just said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the sports writer in his story would say, would quote the coach saying, my kicker is out, and I'm very concerned about it. So, frankly, I didn't necessarily find that as unrealistic as some people may. I found the reporter very condescending to Cindy. Yes, he was. Oh, little lady, are you sure you can do this? It's like, fuck yeah. you. And actually, Cindy's a little bigger than Bobby. Yes. One of the parents, I can't remember, asked, well, how did you find out about this? Bobby had called them. Mm-hmm. Bobby said, we called them first thing. Yeah. So even little kids can do something important. Yes. And Carol and Mike laugh. They think it's funny. Yeah. And then Mike and Carol are like, oh, that's why they're doing this. Duh. They're at the dinner table. Bobby and Cindy are outside teeter-tottering. So they're explaining to the older kids, who must be the least empathetic people in the world, sometimes that's how being a little kid feels. That sometimes we give them the brush off. And Pete's like, Oh, like when we were fixing the radio. Ooh. And Jan goes, or like that time we painted the chair. <laughs> and I'm like, it was fucking yesterday. <laughs> Alice is like, why the, the fuck? The whole conversation is like something out of like Davy and Goliath. Or I know, something. yeah. And it's like, here's how they feel. Oh, it's like it's like this very elementary yeah. <laughs> fake conversation. And then it's dark out in the backyard. Carol's concerned, but Mike says, no matter how hard they try, there's one thing that's going to stop them. And that shows Bobby and Cindy, and they're both yawning. And they bring them, they put sweaters on them. And they, they Carol do. and Alice do. Mike isn't going to go out and do that womanly thing. Alice puts, very lovingly, puts the sweater on Bobby. Carol puts the sweater on Cindy. Although, Alice actually puts Bobby's arms in, and, and Carol just buttons the top <laughs> without... So I think they care about Bobby more. Yeah, probably. But then we see Carol and Mike sitting at the table on the patio. Which I was glad because I'm like, are they just like leaving them out there while they go about their day? Ah, they're out there on the cheaters. I don't know, they're not doing anything. But Mike is like, I think this is just about over. Yeah, Mike is glad. Yes! Yes, He's just like, finally. Is he? Mike wants them to fail. Yes, he does. He really wants them to fail. And I think it's not just because he wants to go to bed or anything. So they drag him into the house. At the first moment, because... Bobby's gonna... like, okay, Cindy, you take a nap, and then I'll take a nap. And so Cindy puts her head down, and they're still going up and on. But then Bobby seeing Cindy like that. And so they're both kind of asleep. And it's like Carol and Mike going over and saying, hey, guys, one of you needs to wake up or get to make the record. They get them both and bring yeah. them to the house. The next scene is the next morning. Mike has the newspaper, as people used to do. I still read my paper every day. And there's the story. The other kids are sitting around. Except for Bobby and Cindy aren't there yet. Because they're probably tired. Yes, but then they come down and Bobby's like, how come you let us fall asleep? And they're like, Carol's like, well, look at this. Like, the whole point was them getting in the paper, I guess, even though they were not even a fifth of the way into their thing. Yeah, I know. But here's what Erica Woke and her Bradypedia has what the news Oh, okay. Says. So, from the Daily Chronicle, 
Caption, Bobby Brady, 10, and Cindy Brady, 9.5. Which is stupid, because wouldn't you just say that? You know, as an editor for many years, I'd say I've seen some pretty stupid things written by Can I ask you a question, too? Yeah. yeah. Do editors write the captions? Thank you for asking. You've touched on an interesting (laughs) topic. Photographers will tell you that they're photojournalists. When a photographer goes to take a photo, it's up to the photographer to get the information to ensure names are spelled right, to know what the institution is, like if there's an event they're going to, to know as many details as they would know if they're a reporter. And some photographers are much better and more professional at it than others. I've worked with the gamut. As a very young reporter, I went to cover something with Bob LaPree, who's an awesome photographer in New Hampshire for the union leader. He's retired now. And I heard him asking someone how to spell their name. I said, oh, don't worry, I, I got the spellings, because that's what I was used to for my other papers. And Bob said, I, I get my own spellings. Yeah, I get my own spellings, well, bitch. So, <laughs> he, so but I've worked with photographers, I've been an editor of photographers who spell names wrong constantly, who get their information wrong. But the photographers write the captions, those captions are then edited. Good editors notice a discrepancy, if there's a discrepancy between the caption or cut line, is they're called in print and story. The short answer, obviously, is photographers do it. A lot goes into it. Oh, okay. So, from the Daily Chronicle caption, Bobby Brady, 10, and Cindy Brady, 9.5, are flying high trying to break the existing teeter-totter record. Now, as an editor, I would have taken out the word existing. You break a record, you set a record. That's right. You don't set a new record, you just set a record. That's right. So, And then the story, which is very short, says Bobby and Cindy Brady set out yesterday to break the world's teeter-totter record. They began their assault on the record at 8.03 in the morning, and as of taking of these exclusive photographs, the two have been teetering and or tottering for several hours. Now, as an editor, what I would have done is, first of all, said to the reporter, well, what time were you there, and say exactly how many hours. And then I would have had the last person working that night call to see if they were still doing it, an update for the paper, how many hours they actually, because that tells somebody nothing. We don't know what time they were there. Anyway, the current record, again, you would just say the record, set by Ralph Nelson, 19, and Alan Rudolph, 20, is slightly over 124 hours. The young Bradys feel that with a serious effort, the record is within their grasp. And a note from Erica Walk, the current teeter-totter record is actually 75 hours, 10 minutes, set in 2004. There is no actual record for 124 hours. Hmm. And also, Ralph Nelson and Alan Rudolph were two people who worked with the show. So uh, it's kind of a they like there. to do that. They're all thrilled about the story in the paper, but my feeling is I would be like, it. we're frauds. We have the story in the paper saying we're trying to break this record, and even as we read the story... Which, if we were still teeter-tottering, we'd only be one foot through the record. We'd only be 24 hours into it. We'd have 100 hours left to go. But we're all happy because there's a story yeah. in the paper. Well, and Peter and Jan are going to break a record, too. Yeah. Mike says that Gertrude shopping for a husband for 25 years must be a record. <laughs> and Alice in the background uh, says, not so fast. I'm still in the running or whatever. Right. But Gertrude calls. Yes, she does. And she invites Bobby and Cindy to the wedding. Because there are celebrities now. Bobby and Cindy are like, no, they're not interested. They're going to go find another record to break. And Mike points out, it's always nice to be asked, even if you don't want to go. Yeah. Then Mike and Carol laugh and hug. Yeah. When Alice makes fun of herself. Yes. 
Because it's so much, it's so funny. Well, it's because they always stole in the competition. The next scene is everyone coming back from the wedding, coming through the front door like they always do, and a big clump of people. Alice asks, how was the wedding? Right, and Mike says, well, it proves that there's a mate for everybody. Fat, bald, wrinkly, scraggly mustache. mustache. And wait for it. And the groom was just as bad, ha ha. So, and Carol gets and fake he, mad at him. She's no, like, oh, Mike, I actually, told you. Actually, what he says is, you should have seen the groom. Ha, ha, ha. So, yeah, we have another anti-female. I guess Gertrude is that unattractive. Somebody that unattractive shouldn't be allowed to get married. Apparently not. It's, they're not a worthy human being. And Carol and Alice look a little irritated for a split second. And then it's Well, Carol funny. just thinks it's funny. Yeah. She's like, I warned you not to say that. The tag is the next day. And the boys are playing catch. Or tossing football. And Jan and Marsha are talking about the wedding. They're still oohing and on about the wedding, which is stupid. And Greg and Peter do their old making fun of wedding. And then Marsha says, boys, who needs them? And Jan says, yeah, who needs them? And then Marsha kind of giggles and says, I guess we do if we want to get married. Not anymore, girlies. Yeah, that's right. And then they both laugh. So, big little man. It starts out where there's Bobby and Greg are silently arguing. You don't really see what they're arguing. But it turns out what's happening is that Greg is fixing a shutter, and Bobby wants to help. Greg, who's up the ladder, fixing the shutter, doesn't want him to help because he's a little kid and I don't need your help, blah, blah, blah. And also he can't reach from the ladder to the shutter, he he tells him. He's too little. And the phone rings. It's for Greg. So Greg comes down the ladder and Bobby's like, oh, I'll help your guy. And Greg's like, no, stay there, leave it alone. I'm going to do it. You're too little. So Greg goes in and Bobby goes up the ladder to fix the shutter and what happens? The ladder falls, and Bobby's hanging from the windowsill, screaming, help me, help me. Alice and Cindy run out. And it's quite a dramatic moment. Yeah, and Alice grabs the ladder. But in the meantime, Greg is upstairs to get the foam, and he runs in and grabs Bobby oh, and pulls you know him through what? the window. Oh, it's not a girl. I was getting cut. It, oh, it's the surfboard. surfboard. That's and right. And talking to the kids cell on the surfboard. That's right, That's I forgot. Yes. yes. But he goes, and he pulls... And it's funny because the scene ends, like, for a commercial, which we didn't have since we Yes. But Bobby's hanging, and it, like, freezes like it's... One thing I noticed in this season, as they've done that with a lot of them, they didn't used to have that where the commercial break, something dramatic happening, yes. but it's happened well, in a lot of... The, the writing on the show was a little better than it is in a lot of them. There are two fairly dramatic scenes that are well done yes. in this. They, and then Alice, who's apparently afraid of heights, climbs the ladder and looks in the window to make sure everything's okay, and then they have to pull her in, and you see it's very obviously a stunt. <laughs> Although then it shows, like, after they pull her in, and Greg accidentally cops a feel. Oh, I didn't see that. Out. Mike, Carol, and Jan come in the front door from shopping. Yes, They've been shopping. Cindy wants to tattle, and Mike is totally not interested. Well, she asks some tattling advice. Yes. And so in this episode, we have a reference to a previous, yes. and there are two of those in this yes. episode. Yes. And so it—that's one of the things that impressed me. So Cindy wants to know if it's okay if it's tattling. Or she doesn't use the word tattling, but she says she does. Oh, she does. Okay. Yes, she does. She says, "Is it tattling if I tell you something somebody doesn't want me to tell you?" And they say, "Yes." It Mike's is. like, "Yes." And he shuts. And her Jan's up. like, "What?" Right. Which is what I would be. Right. He shuts her right down, but Jan is intrigued. So Cindy, being Cindy, blurts it out. Blurts it out. 
you know, that Bobby, she says Bobby <laughs> almost fell off the house or something yeah. like that. And the next scene is Carol and Mike are pulling, Carol's pulling splinters out of Bobby's hands. Yeah. And, and lecture, t- it's not really lecture time, it's advice time. Yeah. They've kind of, sometimes it's not always lecture well, Bobby's time. Bobby's bummed because he's too little. He's the littlest kid in his he's class. A he's a peewee. He's a peewee. Actually, Freddie Hofstetter's the littlest kid in the class. Because he got a haircut, yeah. apparently. Mike and Carol tell him, well, everyone grows at their own pace. Mm-hmm. And Bobby's like, well, being little is the worst thing in the whole world. Yes. And Mike and Carol look concerned. I would have been like, you know, no, it's no, not. No, it's not. That's not. There's a lot of worse things that can happen to you. You could be fucking starving to death. And Greg's looking for the newspaper. Yes. He's talking about the one ads, and he needs some extra loot. He, <laughs> he throws around all the surfing lingo. And Alice is just which like. Which Alice is confused by, and so he throws around some more surfing lingo. She's concerned he's going to buy another jalopy, and he's like, no, no, he's going to buy it. And she finally gets that he's... And so that's another reference to a previous show. She goes, you're not going to buy another jalopy, are you? And she finally gets that it's a surfboard he's after. Meanwhile, Sam comes over. Because he loves to see... He he loves to see Alice. He's bringing the... But also his delivery boy quit. Yes. And And he needs a new one, Sam. And so Alice is like, ooh, Greg. And so, Sam is, hires him. Greg is psyched. It's a buck fifty an hour after school and all day Saturday. That's a pretty good so deal. So Greg is psyched, Alice is psyched, and Alice and Sam have kind of a sexy moment. And then they're like chuckling together. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I like them together. Some chemistry. She had that stupid hairdo, but otherwise yes. I think she's an attractive woman. And Bobby comes in and... And, and Sam <laughs> says, how's it going, shrimp I know, he makes the... <laughs> it doesn't go over well. No, Bobby <laughs> so goes to his room and Alex explains. And Sam accepted. feels really bad. So Sam is like, is it all right if I go up and apologize? Sam comes in, Bobby's and, lying on his bed in the fetal position. Oh. And. Yeah, it, now this disturbed me, and I think it's just. Sam comes in and closes the door behind him. Yes. And he comes over to the bed, and, and it's a nice, up, it's a good, it's a nice scene. He pulls up a chair, yeah, and we actually get to see Sam in a less cartoonish. Although he still makes stupid jokes. He does. Well, he apologizes to Bobby, and then he says, I had the same hang up when I was a kid, only worse. But then you wonder about his credibility because he said he, he when he was born he weighed four pounds, which I believe. Yeah. But then he said he, he said he was short, but he grew six inches in one year, which he could yes. have. I was. But, th- and he makes a couple jokes about how short he was. But he should have said it was later. So Bobby decides he's going to try to grow six inches. Yeah, Bobby was excited. He's so, like, "What if I grew six inches a year? I'd be ten. Yeah, I can't remember." Sam is on board with it. So Bobby, he's outside stretching. It. Okay. Now the thing about this is. And they do talk about this later. He's hanging by his arms. That's not going to make him taller. No. And that Mike and Carol... going to make his arms longer. Well, that's... And Mike and Carol do mention that. If you follow Brady and Logic. Peter comes up and says, well, you know, you can always be a jockey if it doesn't work. Ha, ha, ha. And then he giggles. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we see Sam's butcher shop. It's obviously the end of the day. Greg is tired from a hard day's work. Yeah, and why is he wearing an apron if he's a delivery boy? Well, he helps Sam, too. Okay. He's helping around the oh, shop. Oh, he's going to bring those meat platters on his bike. No, they're putting them in the cooler. Okay. It's at the end of the day. He's helping Sam put the meat away. Yes, but he some more. <laughs> well, he probably does some deliveries on the way home, but he's helping him close okay. up the shop. And the shop looks like it's made out of plywood, I noticed. He asks when payday is, and Sam tells him Saturday. And Greg's like, great, I can make my first payment on that surfboard. And Sam's talking about, and when I get some money, I'm going to upgrade. So we know that he needs to do some upgrades on this. Yes. We see later that the first payment on the surfboard basically means Greg gets the surfboard, but... 
so Mike and Carol are looking out the window, watching Bobby stretching, and Carol's, and Carol's concerned. She's concerned, but Mike's like, as usual, Mike is not. Mike's Mike doesn't not give concerned. a shit. You know, have you noticed Mike is never concerned about like Carol's concerns or anyone else's no. concern. No concern matters until Mike is concerned. Yes, that's true. But he's always not. like, Carol, you're full. And then they laugh at him. Mike's like, oh, it worked for Tarzan. And Carol's like, yeah, and they make some- and Carol's like, well, what if his arms grow long and he ends up looking like Cheetah? And they both just like laugh yeah. uproariously yeah. at the and fact that he it? might have like long arms. It seems to me hanging that much from your arms could actually hurt your shoulders. Yes, I would I'm not a doctor or yeah. any kind of physical therapist, but you could probably hurt yourself if right. you're hanging it's by your arms. You and how is it going to make you taller? I would it think hanging extend, by your knees might make It might you. extend your spine like, you know, it's not going to make you grow taller. It's just going to make you straighter or something, possibly. But he's he, measure, he has a piece of tape on the door. The door going from their bedroom to the bathroom. To measure himself and he hasn't grown. And yes. Marcia comes through and says, you got to give yourself a little time. But he doesn't want time. So he's stretching again. And Jan and Cindy are now watching from the window. All three of them are Because all the people in this house do are like, Uh they're either up in their rooms or they're like looking out the window and they all feel bad because Marsha's like, yeah, I just talked to him. And even a half inch would encourage him. And I was thinking, "Uh Mm uh-oh, uh-oh. Don't these people ever Mm -hmm. learn? Yeah. Do they ever, ever learn? And then they show him measuring himself and he's excited. Yes. He obviously has grown. So he mm-hmm. runs back outside and starts hanging from the... And then he comes swing back in and he's grown even Does more. it a couple more times. The three girls and Carol... And Mike. And Mike. ...are all sitting around the living room. Re- he's probably reading the paper and they're doing and they're, women things. Yeah, they're doing womanly things. I've noticed some things like, in a couple episodes where it's like, almost point. like little women. They're doing like yeah, little needle point and stuff. Shit. Well, that was, that was actually very popular back I, yeah, then. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying, you know, it could sh- it could show the girls reading a book or doing yes. homework, but instead they're doing these little women type activities. And Bobby's all excited. Because he grew an inch and a half. But Cindy's there. Well, Cindy is like, no, it's just right. a half inch. What I was going to say is, because Cindy's there, whenever Cindy's there, in some ways, actually, this is a good thing. Whenever trickery has occurred and Cindy's around, she has to blast <laughs> it always out, comes out what the trickery yeah, was. That's true. So Cindy says, that was only half an inch, and it turns out... Bobby's like, how do you know that? And Mike's like, yeah, how do you know? And it turns out, because Cindy added, and to not extend this as long as the scene went on, it turns out Jan and Marsha both did the same thing. And Bobby's really fucking pissed. When will they learn? Bobby's pissed. When will they learn? And Mike and Carol say they were only trying to help. And Marsha, well, Marsha goes, I guess we should have checked with each other. Totally missing... Well, Mike and Carol kind of missed it, too. They just said, you know, that really was... Bobby says that was the dirtiest trick ever. Mm -hmm. And Mike says, they weren't trying to trick you. Not that I agree with what they did. But they were trying to make you feel better. Bobby runs up halfway up the stairs and turns and says, I'll never grow another inch or something again. And Alice is going to the market, and she wants to make something special. She makes a joke about strawberry tall cake, because she's not going to use it. Which Carol doesn't get, which is fucking stupid. Like, wouldn't you get that right away if someone said that? And Bobby comes in all dirty, and he has a black eye, because he got in a fight with Tommy Huxley. And Carol's like, well, he's twice your size. Why didn't he pick on somebody's own size? And Bobby's like, well, I picked on him. 
And then she starts, gives him a mini lecture about Napoleon. Twisted which, history. Yes, because I just read that he actually was not short. He was like five foot seven, but he was pretty much average for right. the time. But yet somehow Napoleon complex became a thing. And she points out to him that Napoleon got in a lot of trouble because he was short and he was always trying to act like a big man. And some of the shortest men in the world didn't have to fight. They used their brain power. And it's another instance of somebody giving one of the kids, you know, who's having a major life trauma, an aphorism that they completely... And, you know, to me, it's like, can you just talk to him and say, look, you're only 10. I know it's hard to be short now, but in a few years, when you reach puberty, you're going to grow. Yes. Unless you're the kid that played Webster. Right, right. But Bobby's intrigued by her Yes, so he comes home with these books that look like the most boring thing. And his idea of increasing your brain power is just parroting trivia. He kind of missed the point on that. Jan and Marsha are doing that needlework. And Bobby's boring them with his newfound knowledge. They're just like, uh... And then, like, he goes... (laughs) The poor thing. He goes outside. Greg is, like, doing whatever to a surfboard. And Mike is all, like, agog at everything Greg's saying. Oh, and I noticed in the background, did you notice? Notice Tiger's doghouse was in the background. Yes. I thought that was weird. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like, has it still been there? Yes, it has been because I mentioned last week why do they still have the dog? Oh, yeah. They don't have a dog. But they're not listening to Bobby as he spouts off his I boring know. As he spouts off his boring trivia. Oh, it wasn't that boring. But, and who comes to the rescue in a way but Alice? Because Bobby's talking oh, to Alice. Oh, well, Alice. And as usual, Alice is the one person who actually explains. Well, Bobby's it. bummed out. He is. And Alice tells him. That knowing a lot is great, but you need to have a good balance. Mix. It's like yes. a recipe. Yes, it's like a recipe. And then she remembers she needs she sausage. Needs sausage. <laughs> yeah. She's going to have Greg bring him home, and Bobby offers to get go get it. And she's like, no, it's easier to have Greg do it. And Bobby's like, oh, you think I can't do it because I'm too And little. Alice realizes she so hangs up the phone. She doesn't even. Right. So she's going to have Bobby. You know, Alice is the. Yes, what I was saying. The one that uh, she actually notices what's yes, going I know. on. She's the only one. It could be a totally different show if the writers realize. <laughs> so, so we're back at Sam's shop, and Greg and Sam are discussing. Sam wants to get out early because he and Alice are going to the destruction. Derby, <laughs> yeah. which I guess it's like a demolition. <laughs> and Greg's like, "Well, I'll close up for you." Because it's so easy to close. Well, all he's got to do is put the meat in the meat locker. Yeah, and do a bunch of other things. He gives a list, and Sam says, "Remember what I told you about." meat locker. Yes. And so we know something's going to happen. Sam's gone. Greg's putting the stuff in the meat locker. Bobby comes in looking for the sausages. And Bobby's like... Okay, I have a quibble. I know I sound like Robert Reed. If Alice needs the sausages because she's making dinner, and Sam has to leave early because they're going to the demolition derby. It doesn't work. I agree. But Greg needs to put the meat away. He goes into the meat locker. Bobby follows him in but and closes the door. behind him, and Greg's like, and what? And out. And Greg's side. acting is pretty good when he's like, he what are you doing? Good, I thought this was a good scene. They're locked in the meat locker. That was a good scene. And Bobby's like, I didn't want the cold, which is logical. He yes. doesn't know. Yeah. But Greg is nicer to him than I would have been, like, screaming. Well, it's... He is upset, but... So there's a lot of... There's a hatchet there. So Greg tries to break the door with the hatchet and ends up breaking the door latch. He tries to pry it open and breaks the axe. He finally breaks the window open, but he can't get through it, so we know what's going to happen. Little Bobby can fit through it. Yeah. Bobby can't open the door from the outside because Greg had broken it. 
So he calls home. So he calls home. And the he adults designed come. a pay phone, and I'm like, what, they, they don't have a phone in the store? They And then all the adults are there later. Now Bobby is, Greg points out Bobby saved his life. And Greg hugs him, which Yes, is he sweet. does. It's cute. And, and you know, they're kind of even because Greg saved Bobby's life yes. at the beginning. And Bobby's glad he's little. I just want to point out that there's some Alice blaming. Well, she blames herself, but nobody contradicts her. She said, "I it's my fault because I had Bobby go get sausage. I had to... Like, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Then in the tag. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Because Bobby's pretending to surf, and Peter comes up with a bucket of water, and Greg apparently knows... Right, that Peter's going to throw it at Bobby, but I think Bobby's in Bobby it. Bobby's in on it because he ducks in it. Yeah. It's Greg. And Greg it's gets Greg wet. in the face, and then Greg takes the bucket and puts it over Peter's head. I thought that was a good episode. They're cute. The boys are good. Yeah, I like that episode. Because it had two fairly And that was one I remembered a lot from when I was little. I think it's because of the drama in it. The drama was good. And the um, references to previous shows. Some of their um, plots are pretty thin. And at least this one had a... It was a good flow. There was no filler like the... (laughs) I know. This next episode's a classic. Don't Yeah. Yes. It's never been an episode I like very no, much. No, I don't really like it. It opens with Peter and Bobby pounding on the boys' room door. They go into the girls' room to try to get in through the bathroom, right. but they can't. And they're like, what could he be doing in there? It's like, gee, <laughs> gee a, I wonder. It's a 16 year Yeah. He's doing something very important. And the girls wonder what it is, too. So they all go through the bathroom, but Greg won't let him in. And it shows him at his desk, right? Oh, they switch down to the kitchen. Cindy's with Alice, helping Alice. And they're talking about Greg. Cindy's like, what do you suppose he's doing? <laughs> and Alice is not going to say beating off because she, Cindy's a little kid. But then Greg comes running in and he's like, I got it, I got it. And it's one of those things I hate they do on this show where some big thing is happening, but the person doesn't explain Yeah, and he just runs out. And then, because Alice and Cindy were making hamburger patties, yes. we see there's I've a never new... before seen. <laughs> yeah. Built-in grill. It's not even just like a portable. A huge built-in patio grill. That yeah. That they're going to be grilling or barbecuing as they say the hamburgers. And I don't know if that's ever seen again. It's kind of no, weird. it is weird. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out we for it. We will have to keep an eye out. Made me hungry for grilled hamburgers, so. He answers the phone. Yes. And it's Sam, and Sam thinks he's Jan or Mark. <laughs> uh-huh. Peter goes out and tells Alice. And Carol wonders, called. where's Greg? Yes, and Pete says, he thought I was a girl, but nobody responds. Nobody's paying attention. Right now, they're just like, yeah, whatever, Peter. And it's funny, they're like, where's Greg? And Peter's like, well, if he got hit by a truck or fell down a manhole, someone would have called. Yeah, that's what we always <laughs> say to Mom. And Greg comes home and he's like, I'm 16. You know, when are you guys going to stop worrying about me? Or I'm almost 16. When are you guys going to stop Which worrying Which is like, me? he's been almost 16 for like at I least know. two years. And then he says that he lost a million bucks. Oh, yes. Or maybe he says he is 16. I think he said I'm 16. Yeah. And then he lost a million bucks, and it turns out because he wrote a hit song. A surefire. We can wait. We can make the world a whole lot brighter, but he can't report court it because Mr. Dimsdale, who owns the studio, and I was thinking of Reverend Dimsdale from The Scarlet Letter, wants $150, and Greg only has $43.12. And Peter's like, Mr. Dimsdale? I wonder if that's Johnny Dimsdale's dad. Yeah, that's a friend of Pete. So Pete... Goes to the Yeah, they show an exterior shot. I don't shot. know how he must ride his bike. He walks right into the friggin' He's just doodaloo, walking down the hallway. And they're about to record they, yeah, and he the just, Five Monroes, which is a black group who looks kind of like the Jackson Five. You never really see well, them. Well, there's like three girls, though, maybe. Or yes. there's a couple girls. In any case, they're a singing group of color. Dimsdale stops 
what they're about to do to have this conversation. I know, which I would be like, why is that kid in here? Get the fuck out. But he Time tells, is money. But he tells Pete that he gave the best price in town he could to Greg, and if you want to see a gold record, check out the five Monroe's. Yeah. And so Pete goes home. And he tells Greg, you know, what? Well, the scene is kind of funny because they show the boys' room, and Greg's, like, scheming, like he's pacing back and forth, and Bobby's watching something on the... Yeah, I'm <laughs> cartoon on the He's just thing. like, sounds great, Greg. Yeah. He's like, so for once, Bobby's ignoring <laughs> people, and Pete tells Greg that his problems are solved because he saw this great new group, and Greg's like, yeah, how's that going to help? And Pete, Pete says, Mr. Dimsdale gave me this advice. He says, a family singing groups are really in now, and that's the way to go. And, and so we many- could all chip in. Right, and there's only five of them, but there's six of us. And then he says, and we make five times as much as the carpenters, because there's only two of them. He doesn't seem to get, to get that. How big the like, he also doesn't seem to get that you're splitting the money more ways. Right. Yes. But math is not. And I think people it. forget, because this is the second reference to the carpenters we've had in a few episodes. They were huge they were in the huge. early 70s. And it's easy to kind of look back and make fun, but they were very good musically, very talented, yes, and they had were. huge hits. It's hard to tell people now who weren't around then how big they were. And Karen Carpenter was awesome. But she died in February of 1983 of a heart attack because she was anorexic. And she had had a lifetime of bulimia and anorexia. And part of it was she was fat shamed. Yes. As she was very shy and she played the drums and she was a very good drummer. She had a fantastic singing voice and her mm-hmm. brother was this musical genius. He was the other carpenter. They wanted her out front and it scared the shit out of her. She had she liked being back behind the drums. She developed anorexia. And she wasn't heavy at all. She had kind of a pear shape and she, she was, was fat shamed. Remember now another beautiful singer who died of a heart attack was Cass Elliott. Yeah. And the still saying that she choked on a ham and cheese which sandwich, was which bullshit. was bullshit. She was a heavy woman but she didn't care. Well maybe she did care. She was still fat shamed but she didn't give into it. But Anyways, it's sad. But, but anyway, they decide they need to all chip in yes. for that 150 They go to the girls, and they're not interested at not all. Not at all. Until the boys go to their egos. They ma- manipulate them. Manipulate. They make them sing the word <laughs> no. <laughs> and he actually gets it, because they do kind of a good cop, bad cop. So Jan and Marsha kind of give in. They're like, okay. So they tell Cindy to give Gregor money. For secret money. And now we know what Kitty Carriol is yes, carrying. It's like Kitty Carriol. I have to give Cindy a little credit. For once, they're not making her be the stupid idiot. She wants to know <laughs> why she's giving up her secret money, and they don't want to tell her. She's like, well, I'm not giving Greg my money until you tell me why. We see this scene in Mike's Den where Mike's like, so you're still short $53. No, they have 53 which means that all their money together, Greg had, what, 43, 43. Yeah, so, so the rest only had like well, 10 bucks. And so they need 96 and change. And Mike's like, I, you know, I'm an architect. I don't want to be a record producer. But he offers to give them an advance on their allowances that he'll take back at 50 cents a week. Among the five of them, so Greg starts trying to do the math, and then he says, why don't we just give you 30% of our first million? And Mike's like, fuck you. I'm not a fucking idiot. But then Carol gets to have her Shirley Jones moment. Yes, they're practicing their hit. In the family room. Alice likes it. Alice likes it, she does, yeah. Carol is, like, directing directing them. them. And And she is a good singer, so. She is, but she's not singing, so it's not really a Shirley Jones moment. And it's a really cheesy song. It's kind of a pro-environment. And and I like one of the lines in the song is, don't you know it's now or never? And I'm like, it was. It really, truly was. And it's too late now. And I want to tell you, when we do, when our show does Room 222, we'll find that too.
But they're singing. They're singing the song that's we can make the world a whole lot. And, and the like sad thing is, I remember that song, and I remember the song they sing later in the show because I think your brain imprints things when you're that it age. Does. And I didn't like them any better now than I did. And then. there's some TV show songs that I remember. Yeah. I mean, not. I, I mean, re- I commercial can, songs. I won't get into it now, but I remember jingles from cigarette commercials that haven't been on TV. I remember time. today a jingle from Carol's Hamburgers. Wow. Anyway, which used, it was now Burger King. So Greg brings the money to Mr. Dimsdale. He's wearing a striped shirt. Oh yes, I yes. noticed that. And, and, and he's, he's like, he's, wait until you hear that. What's he calling him? The Brady Six. Yeah, but he gives him like a, oh, a bunch of coins, he which says, he couldn't stop at the bank. On the right, way so, right, and then a check so from his parents and Dimsdale's like, so is the check going to be pieces? <laughs> the guy that plays Dimsdale. He used to be in tons of stuff, I'm just he saying. Was. John Wheeler. Yes. I looked him up to see what I knew him from, and it's like, it doesn't even, he's just like one of those character actors that was in everything from the late 60s through the 90s. Yes, he is. He's very familiar looking. So anyways, but go on. Sorry. Greg says, we're going to be the greatest recording group you ever Heard. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I've the never kids, heard that before, kid. So the kids are practicing again, and Alice and Carol are in the kitchen listening. And Carol notes somebody hit a clinker. Yeah. And we see it. It was Peter, and then yeah. they say, Carol, Ooh. and he keeps doing it. And they're it. like, stop kidding around. He's like, I'm not kidding. And, and Alice and Carol are concerned. Yeah, it's not a clinker. It's a clunker. Carol's like to Alice, how old was Greg when his voice started to change? And Alice is like, oh, he's around 13. And Peter and Greg come in and Carol breaks the news, your voice is changing. Greg is distraught. It's kind of time for a birds and a bees talk, but it's not really a birds and a bees talk. Because they don't really explain it. And Pete's like, well, you know, maybe by Friday when they have to record... My voice will get better. And at this point, I was thinking, dump his ass. And yes. You know what? If you're going to be in the music business, learn yes. it's just business. Yeah. You don't fit in. Your voice isn't working. Bye. And then they show him doing the kind of things you do. If He's you steaming his face. And I'm like, he doesn't need that. He needs testosterone shots or something. I mean, Greg. And then Mike and Carol are in bed. <laughs> and they hear the strangled cry. They think maybe it's like a coyote dying or something. But obviously it's not. <laughs> they, go, they go downstairs and they go. Alice is in the living room with a baseball bat. And, and Mike says, it sounds like a prowler in pain. <laughs> so they go out and Pete's in the car. And he's making this strangled noise. He's, what he's trying to do is scream his voice back. Yes. He's like yodeling, but he said he's trying to scream, but it sounded like yodeling. And one thing, too, is before they go out there, you know, Mike has Alice's bat, and Alice is like, can I have my roommate back? It's like, okay. Mike and Carol both get in the car with Peter, and it's like pep talk. That's when Carol mentions her brother. Right? She says, well, my brother's mm-hmm. voice was changing, but we've never heard about this nope. brother before. But that must be where Cousin Oliver comes and from And Mike later. says... Right, and Mike says some things just have to, you just have to leave to nature. That's Mother Nature. Yeah. And Peter's worried because he doesn't want to let everybody down. And he says everyone's blaming him. Cindy kept sticking her tongue out at me. And Carol's like, well, she's just a little girl. Oh, like, she's yeah. almost 10. And he's like, yeah, it's a big tongue. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, then it shows the kids, and they're voting. They're yeah, having a secret ballot that Pete obviously doesn't know about. So keep him or dump him. And it's three to three because Cindy voted for both because she couldn't make up her mind. That typical group babble scene that I hate because it's, the most fake acting of yeah. the show when they do And that. Carol comes in, and they tell her what's going on, and she's like, well, it is a tough decision, but I'm right. not... Jan wants to dump him. Jan, actually, I think Jan has the most reasoned, the best idea, where she's like, okay, we'll record without him, but we'll give him his share. Right. Marsha says it was his idea, so we should let him do Yeah, it. which is true. Bobby kind of points out that Pete's been loyal to him, so he yes. wants Pete to do it. 
And Greg just is like, if it sounds shitty, we're not going to Nobody's sell it. gonna buy yeah. it. We want people to buy our record, and if it sh- yeah, if it sounds crappy, nobody's gonna listen. And Carol's like, can't you put it off? And then she says, she says, money and fame are very important things, but sometimes other things are more important. Like people. First, she says she's not going to tell them what they should right. do, but, but then, then she, she basically does. Them. The thing is, the one hundred and fifty dollars is not refundable. Right, and that's the point. They but have to. They do have it to do it. They all immediately agree to call it off after she says which that. Is, which is weird. Which is weird. And but uh, as but they're about to, yeah, tell Peter, he comes in and he he bows out. Peter's like, it's not fair. And then Greg has this light bulb. Well, Bobby helps. Because Bobby says, I give Bobby credit. He goes, I think we should just let Pete sing and goof it up. And Greg's like, we don't want to go. And Bobby says, you know, if it's goofed up, it's goofed up. And Greg's has a light light bulb bulb moment. And he's like, I got it. And it shows him writing, writing, writing. And the boys can't get into the bedroom. And then it switches immediately to the studio, so we don't have to go through all that, thank right, God. Right, so they're singing, and let me just point out, they have fake singing accents. They're lip-syncing, and it sounds it sounds like different, like, obviously professional voices helping and, them. And they did do some of the voice work themselves. Boyd Schwartz points out that Barry Williams, Maureen McCormick, and... Mike Lookinland, all were talented yes. musically. Yes, and he said Susan Olsen was okay. And as was Eve Plum, and that Lloyd Schwartz points out Chris Knight couldn't even hit the bad note he has to hit in this song. They have Howard Leeds, who's the guy on the production crew, actually do the bad note because Pete couldn't. And you know what? It's a song about puberty. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's interesting. Don't fight the tide. Come along for the ride. Is that for the girls? Did the girls <laughs> yeah. <sing> that one? <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> but they're obviously all lip syncing, but it's the famous, as you guys listening all know, that when it's time to change. It's and Craig's wearing the buckskin shirt. Yeah. This time, not ironically, like last time yeah, he had yeah. it on, no, was, where really. he was a man. Dimsdale says the Brady Six is a great group. And then the tag is... Peter's not talking. Greg is talking for him. Right. They go in the kitchen for some milk and possibly some cookies. And he's conserving his voice because I guess they're going to reserve the studio again to record the second song. Which we don't know what that is. Yes. Well, I assume it's We Can Make the World of a Lot Oh, that's right. Pete's. But Greg points out that every group has its own sound, and Pete, Pete's voice cracking apparently is going to be their sound, which frankly I don't think it's going to I think work it's kind of shitty. The credits on the show credit the song, and also credit the theme song to the Brady Bunch kids. What, the lyrics you mean? Yes. No, the singing. Uh, I mean, that's what I meant to say. The singing, the singing to the Brady Bunch. Because some other people wrote the songs, different songwriter people. You mean Barry Williams didn't no, write them? Did it's funny, because we talked a little last episode about how the kids secretly, you know, with their parents obviously driving it, had formed a singing group without the Schwartzes knowing about it. Lloyd Schwartz and Maureen McCormick actually have very different memories of what happened. And we talked a little last week about how Lloyd Schwartz says they had kind of secretly done this Without the show knowing... What, you mean formed a musical group? A musical group and that started... And touring. We talked, right, and touring. And we talked last week about it in the context of the theme song, how the kids wanted the theme song to sound more professional. And this year, the theme song is credited to the Brady Bunch kids. And Lloyd says, he says, We filmed our series from June to December... After shooting ended for the year, Dad wanted the kids to recapture as much of their lives as possible by returning to their own schools. He thought that it would be better for them, and that's what we thought they were doing. But much to our surprise, they weren't. I don't know how or when it all started, but some of their parents, or an agent or manager, 
thought that there was money to be made if the kids actually became a singing group and went on the road. When we found out about it, Dad could have stopped it, or at least he could have taken a share of the money, since the six kids didn't have the legal right or permission to call themselves the Brady Bunch or the Brady Kids. But he thought if they wanted to make some money, it was not right for him to stand in our way. They were keeping all of this a secret from us, and for good reason. And then he goes into the rules about them, the hours they worked. When he found out was when he got them to sing the theme show. So that was at the beginning of the third season. Yes. Okay. So what Maureen McCormick says in her book, which is called Here's the Story, Mm. we were three quarters of the way through the third season when we arrived on episode 64, a show that was Barry, Barry Williams, Greg, unofficial coming out as a singer. And I was all for it because the rest of us were along for the ride. Titled Do Re Me. The show featured Greg writing a song that he was certain would turn him into a pop star. The song was called We Can Make the World a Whole Lot Brighter. When he didn't have enough money to buy studio time, his siblings split the cost in exchange for singing backup. Then there was the second twist. Peter had a lousy voice, but Greg solved that problem not only by writing another song, Time to Change, but also by incorporating his brother's adolescent squeaks. Genius! Suddenly, the Brady Kids had two songs. It wasn't enough for an album, but you only needed two for a 45. It looked like we were taking on the Partridges. Thinking about it, wouldn't it have been funny if the two families had toured together and Alice and Reuben Kincaid had fallen in love? Mm. Except for, wasn't there always sexual tension between Reuben Kincaid and... Yes, there was a little bit, yeah. Anyway, it was clearly a ploy by Sherwood and Lloyd to expand the Bradys into other businesses. The previous year, we'd recorded a Christmas album. It tested the water. After this episode, it was decided that we would record another album. This one's straight-ahead pop and rock and then tour barry was thrilled all of us were excited i felt like every dream i had was coming true i tend to tend to believe lloyd's version i wonder if she wasn't privy to how it came about though i mean she was a kid her parents or man and or manager that's true were the ones that decided and they could have told them oh lloyd and sherwood are on board with this or whatever you don't know that's true you know that's true so in any case i'll give her the benefit of the doubt but it's funny how they're totally different yeah totally different different. and lloyd sounded almost a little bitter so i don't see why he would have brought it up yeah and he points out his dad let it happen because he said why begrudge them i know he's that was really nice of him yeah our next episode... Jan's Aunt There's a guest star on this yes. show, Imogene Coca. This show, before we start talking about it, takes a totally different tack from the misogyny and women bashing that we've been listening to. Although... I mean, there's a little bit of it. Yeah. It starts out with a lot of it, and the message is a little off. I always got... I love the Jan fucked up crazy insecurity shows and there are so many of them i didn't realize until i started doing this so this one that we start out in the family room they have all this junk cleaning out the attic they're cleaning up the attic it shows them coming down the stairs with all sorts of crap yeah and it bringing it into the family room mike gets an old i'd call it a victrola yes gramophone are they the same thing i was gonna look that up they are but in any case he wants to go fix it, so he brings that into his study, so it leaves just the women folk. And they're looking at stuff. There's a photo of Carol's great-grandmother in her swimsuit, and Carol points out she was arrested for indecent exposure yes. for wearing her swimsuit. And they all laugh, and they find a picture of Carol's Aunt Jenny, and it looks just like Jan. It was taken about the age Jan is, and Jan's delighted. She and says, it's, it is spooky. 
And then she says, I wonder what she looks like now. And Carol said, this must have been 40 years ago, which would have been like early 30s, but she looks like a, like a pioneer. It's a weird... Well, she's got long braids down the yeah. front. Not unlike my sixth grade photo. That's I mean, true. If it was 40 years before, it would... Like 32, 31, 32, mm-hmm. 19, 30. But it would make her... The Aunt Jenny now, about 52 or 53. Jan wonders what she looks like now. And Marsha's like, maybe that's what you'll look like. And Jan agrees. And Jan's like, I can't wait to see what she looks like. Jan's going to write her a letter to get a photo. Because I can't wait to see what she looks like. Because, of course, Jan is now fixated. Yeah, Jan acts kind of crazy, too. Yeah, she acts very crazy. She's fixated on the fact that in 40 years, she's going to look like whatever Aunt Jenny looks like. Uh-huh. She's just fixated on it. So it's 10 days later, we find out, because Jan runs in. Alice is doing whatever in the kitchen with a dish towel. And Jan's like, do I have any mail? And Alice is like, you've asked me that every day for 10 days. But then Alice been 10 days. admits that she, yeah, she does something. have some. It's a letter from Aunt Jenny. And, and Alice kind of doesn't know what's going on. And wouldn't Alice know if Jan was asking her every day for 10 days if she got any mail? Well, she's probably, you know, but she's yeah, probably Jan drunk or something. And rips it open. And if it were me, I would look at the picture. I would look at the photo first. Me too. But she Jan does. Reads she the reads. It's a very nice letter. Yeah, and it's kind of hip. She calls her soul sister, and Jenny calls her. Does she do it in the letter? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, she does. And has some other hip lingo. And Jan looks at the picture and, and is devastated. Oh, because she's no. not attractive. Yeah. She doesn't look and, that bad no, to she me. Look, she looks like a middle-aged woman in a big hat. Yeah. But Jan goes and looks in the mirror and looks at that picture. Yes. We said before, people are always looking in the mirror. And Jan's the mirror looker of everybody. Then we go to Mike's study. So I looked up the difference between Victola and gramophone. A gramophone is a generic term, a sound playing or recording device that plays a disc. So a Victola is a gramophone. A gramophone isn't necessarily a Victola. You know what I mean? Is Victola the one with the big cone? Yes. Yes. But a gramophone would be. A Victola Victola is a gramophone. Right. And uh, Mike's wearing his velour shirt. Yes. And Bobby is very cutely messing around with the big comb. I know, that was funny. (laughs) He yells through it into Mike's hair. I know. (laughs) And then he pretends he can't hear and he sticks it in his hair. Then he puts it on his head. It's it's almost like he's trying to crack Robert Reed up. Yes. And I felt like it was a kind of natural, spontaneous scene. And so he shoes Bobby out. And who comes in but Jan? And Jan has some questions about genetics. And Mike says, I'm not, he's not really paying attention because he's busy messing around with yeah. Victrola, as always. Greg does that a lot, too, when they're doing something. They don't stop. Well, you know, what they're doing is important. They're it, yes, it kind of reminds me of when you're trying to talk to somebody, although this hasn't happened since I stopped working in an office, but when you're trying to talk to somebody and they're looking at their phone and doing stuff on their phone instead of talking to you. But he gives her a very simplistic explanation about heredity and genetics. And, And, okay, I know he was busy doing something else, and it doesn't really serve the plot, but what he says to her... Is kind of like, she's like, well, does that mean if two people that look alike are good? And he doesn't say, right. well, it depends on how they live their life. He right. says there's a chance, but he doesn't. And he doesn't. He says that later. But he, yes, he does say that later, which is good. But he doesn't put two and two together. Like, no, does this have anything to do me? with the fact that you look like Aunt but Jenny? he gives her the impression that she's going to. Yes. So it shows her looking in the mirror again. And <laughs> she's in the bathroom. Oh, you can see the wrinkles starting <laughs> up already. Which yeah. is like, she's and not even like, that wrinkle. I'm like, sorry. Forty years from now, you very well may have wrinkles. Especially if you're not. Yeah, it's the seventies, and you're probably not using sunscreen. Right, and she's very fair skinned. And then the boy, 
Greg and Peter come in. Greg is wearing his purple outfit. She flies off the handle. Uh, she does. She really, I, they tease her a little, and she just, like, totally. She's like, it's it. cruel to mock someone for their ugliness. Oh, she, first, she accuses them of the cruelest cruelty to mock her because she's ugly. Yes. She says, I can't do anything about my face, so why tease me about it? Yes, and she's and she's very upset. She has facial dysmorphia. Yeah, she does. And Greg and Peter are like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, what's wrong with her? She's just totally melting down. And then Marsha comes in and she's like, what's up with Jan? And Greg says, she's got a thing about her face all of a sudden. And I'm like, all of a sudden? Yes. They don't remember, remember the freckles I know. thing? I know. When Greg said to her, you know, if a guy doesn't like a girl, it's obviously her face, you know. Jan's sulking. Yes, and Marcia says... Well, Jan shows her the picture. Marcia's like, what's going on? You know, talk to me. I'll help. You know, that's what bigger sisters are for. Mm-hmm. Jan shows her the picture. Marcia's like, well, you might not look like her. Yes, why worry about it now? And Jan's like, well, Dad said I would. Right, and Marcia's like, you know. Well, you have 40 years. Right, why worry about it now? And Jan gets and a she starts manic, crying. And she goes, well, first she goes, right, there's no sense in crying about it now. I'll, I'll, I'll be... I'll be happy while I still can. <laughs> and then she goes, maybe, just maybe I won't look like that. And she goes, but I will. And, and then, then she, she starts, starts crying. crying. So she's really just... <laughs> and then they show her in the kitchen, Talk and Alice is ironing. It's bothering me that Bobby is, like, so close to the iron. And Jan's, like... Asking her about being a missionary. missionary. Because apparently she has to do something where she's not among yeah, she people. Yeah, because she's she has nothing lady, to live like for. And then Jan's yes. like, well, I can do something else, like the Peace Corps, or join the Navy, or, or work, work in a, 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 for right. a photographer. In a dark room, it doesn't matter what a girl looks yes. like. Really? Yes. And then Aunt Jenny... And no one says to her, you know what? Right. First of all, you're Nobody you're a, a fine-looking person, right. but even if you weren't... Nobody gives her any positive reinforcement well, whatsoever. And I'm not, I'm not saying that someone should say, look, you're pretty, because that's not helpful. It shouldn't matter. What they should it be should. saying is there are people who have it a lot worse than you, like the elephant man. Yes. And... I am not an animal. You didn't see him. You didn't see him crying every day. Well, I, I, he, I'm a human being. I had a boyfriend in college who used to do that imitation. Of um, doing sounds that like a fun guy. He was. It turns out Aunt Jenny's coming to visit and Carol tells Jan and she's so yes. excited, but Jan is pissed. She's not excited at all. And it's funny because Carol comes in and she tells Mike and Mike's not... Usually Mike's really like makes fun of her family. Family. Like but he doesn't. He doesn't. He's like, oh, good. And in the girls' room, Jan says that there's no hope for me. This picture proves it. And Carol and Mark are there, and they kind of try to talk her out. Of oh, and the other thing we didn't mention is it came by telegram, which it, they don't have anymore. Oh, it did? Oh, yeah, that's right. It did. Anyways, so Aunt Jenny's, like, coming the next day. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, hi, I'm coming to visit tomorrow. Right, and they're in the room with Jan. She says, there's no hope for me, and this picture proves it. And Carol and Mike try to talk her out of it. Carol says, just because you don't find her attractive doesn't mean other people oh, that's don't. True. That's true. And Mike, that's true. and then Mike says, it might just be a bad photo, which is like... Uh, yeah, it's not. And, and then he points out, you know, how you look as you age is influenced by a lot of... Jan wants a personal guarantee that she isn't going to look like that. And she's not going to get it. Yeah, Carol says there's no guarantee you're not going to look like her. Yeah. And there's no guarantee you are. You know what I would have said? Start moisturizing and using sunblock right now. But Aunt Jenny isn't even... No, she's not. She isn't even right. And uh, and meanwhile, a limo with a police escort 
pulls up in the driveway. Yeah. And Mike and Carol and Alice run out. And, and, it, and it's apparently Antonia. Yay! And she hasn't seen Carol, apparently, since Carol and, was a girl. And she's wearing some kind Big. of overcoat and fur. She looks like she's about 60. And Imogene Coco, who plays her, Well, it's is, like 63. She was born in 1908. Right. And so Aunt Jenny should be in her early to mid-50s. And, she, and Imogene and is like 63, 60. Yeah. Wait, 60. Of 1908, 72. She's probably 64. And this is where the show, the second time in this group, comes. She asks how long they've been married, and they say three years. And she's like, oh, well, you've got six kids. And everybody, she makes She them. thinks it's funny. And everybody laughs. Because she's a hip chick. So I guess for, as a family, they don't keep that much in touch because you think anyway. It sounded like she hadn't seen Carol since she was a little girl, and maybe they hadn't yeah, kept in touch. she's a world traveler. But, you know, also, it's easy nowadays for people to not realize. Yes. You didn't know what was going on with right, people. No I mean, unless you call people on the phone or write letters, which some people did, some people didn't. Remember how Mom never wrote to Nana? And Nana used to yes, complain all the time. But Aunt Jenny has presents for everyone. She takes off her coat. She's wearing a groovy purple dress and a giant necklace. And Jan is the only one not. And she, like, she has a basketball autographed by Will Chamberlain. Yes, she probably, she probably slept with him. And she gives Pete some cuffs from Houdini. And she has Pete cuffs. She gives Marsha a shofar. Yeah. And then they act like it's like this exotic thing like Rosh Hashanah. Then Jan comes down. She gives Jan a big hug, and Jan is very stiff and unengaged. And Aunt Jenny gives her, is this a Picasso? I thought she said Pablo, but I couldn't tell. She said Pietro. I know, and I was like. And, but apparently it's a it's an original work of art. Yes, that looks like. Very, famous, yeah, I know. It's like trying to, it looked like a Picasso, but maybe it was a fictitious. And Jan's very lukewarm. Awesome. And Jan's like, what is this supposed to be? And Aunt Jenny's like, well, I guess it's a portrait of me. <laughs> and it looks like me, too. Ha, ha, ha. Because Aunt Jenny is very funny. Yes, later they're at Mike's den, and Aunt Jenny's like, I got bad vibes from her. Yeah. And I want to know why she doesn't she dig doesn't, me. Yeah, that child doesn't dig me, and I don't know why. Carol said, well... And then she says it started when she received... Your picture. Picture. Jenny doesn't... It would kind of hurt my feelings. Right. Jenny doesn't seem to bother. But later, Jan is in the girls' room, and apparently Aunt Jenny's going to sleep there because Jan is helping her unpack her clothes, and there's a sorry and other things, and Aunt Jenny's explaining kind of history behind some of these clothes. So it's obvious Aunt Jenny has a very cool life. She travels a lot. She knows a lot of famous people. She's always doing cool things. And Jan's just kind of like... And... And Aunt Jenny's like, why don't we rap a little? Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> and she's like, and she levels with Jan. She's like, I know why you're acting this and way. And Jan's embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed. She's like, oh, my parents told you. And she goes, well, I had to pull it out of them. And Aunt Jenny says, I could have been beautiful if I'd wanted to. And, you know, I could have had a tuck here and a nip here and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Jan's like, well, why didn't you? And she goes, I just haven't had the time. There's lots of pretty faces out there, but how often do you get to see a puss like this? And she makes a face. But it's true. I mean, do you want to look like everybody else, or do you want to look like yourself? And you know, the funny thing is, when you see... People had plastic surgery back then, but it seems like now it's like yeah, much more. ubiquitous. And they all start to look alike. Women all start to look alike. Aunt Jenny's helping Carol and Alice cook sukiyaki. Yes, yeah, sukiyaki. And she got it from Emperor Hirohito. <laughs> she traded Madame Khrushchev. She's quite the name dropper. Madame Khrushchev's fourth recipe. It makes you wonder if she's telling the truth, but apparently so, she is. We get a phone call for Aunt Jenny. It's her secretary. Mm-hmm. And Alice takes a message. She's gotten a llama because of her 
contributions to the Humane Society. And she's not phased. She just says, it can go out in the backyard yeah, with a zebra. zebra. Right. And then I might have a zebra. Right. And they're sitting on the floor of the living room having a Japanese dinner. And that carpet is disgusting. They I should know, not be eating on it. They don't even have like a something like a tablecloth. On I know. The and I thought you'd like the part where they're slurping the tea. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> the phone rings again. Mike, for a change, gets it. Again, it's Aunt Jenny's secretary and this time... At Aristotle and Yes, wants her to come to a party and she doesn't want to go because it's going to interfere with her Peace Corps and she makes a reference about Jackie Onassis. So you'd have to kind of we know also, what was going on at the time. She mentioned Golda Meir when she gave her the yes. Marsha the Shofar. And so. we also find out that she played jazz with the King of Bangkok and the phone rings again and Carol takes a message. And, and Jan is looking at her with, like, awe. And, uh, right, a dozen long-stemmed roses have been left for her. Another marriage yes. proposal from Lester, who turns out to be a senator. And she's like, I get a lot of proposals. And, and Jan's like, why don't you accept? And she's like, I'm too young to settle down. And then the phone rings again, and she picks it up. Right. And it's her secretary again, and she forgot she has to leave for Paris at 11. She has a dinner at, at the, the embassy. American Embassy with George that she promised George. Jan wishes she could stay, and Aunt Jenny says, that's nice to hear, and she means it. But I'll be back. They hug. Yes. Which is cute. And then they all run upstairs to help her except Jan and Mike and Carol. And Jan says she thinks Jenny is the most wonderful person and she will grow up to look just like her. And Mike's like, uh, uh, you might not. Like, Mike doesn't like, doesn't look like he. And Jan says, well, there's a good chance I might. So they're in the tag. They get a lake cast in the mail from Aunt Jenny and it's autographed because she broke her leg skiing by Jean-Claude Killing, <laughs> Peggy Fleming, Paul Newman. All sorts of people. You would have to be up on some of the people you'd know, but other right. people you might not. And know. Stevie calls for Jan and inviting Jan to a party. And Jan says that, you know, she'll go, but she's not ready to settle down yet. And she probably won't be ready until she's about 60. At least. At least. And that's a funny. Ha 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 ha. Because she's not 13 yet and she's talking about settling. And I liked that one. I did too. I thought it, he had a good message. Although, like I said, Imogene Coca is like 10 years older than Aunt Jenny was supposed to be, which is fine. Right. The picture of Aunt Jenny could have been from right. 50 years ago. I don't understand. In a lot of ways, and I know it was done a little ham handedly in some ways, but. After almost three seasons of constant misogyny and anti-female jokes, they finally have a message that it... And they've tried to say it before without success, but your looks aren't important. Who you are is what's important. Have you noticed there's no lecture? There's no... You don't need Mike or Carol to underline what this message is. That's right. The writer's name is Michael Morris, and I didn't look to see if he's written any other episodes, and for all I know, he's written a ton of them, but it just felt different than, aside from Jan's hysteria (laughs) and craziness, which was on point. That's a given. But I felt, I'm like, good for them, you know, they made a stab, and I guarantee that probably within a couple episodes we're going to see the usual misogyny and anti-female jokes, but it was a nice break. So the last one for today is The Big Bat. This was written by Elroy Schwartz, who's Sherwood Schwartz's brother. Yes. He keeps it all in the family. And I kind of liked it for a lot of reasons. Well, yes, I did too. The beginning, they often seem to begin in this season, is somebody riding on a bicycle on the driveway, Bobby. I think once they catch on to something. Oh, I also want to say Earl Bellamy directed it. 
And he was a big TV director in the 60s and 70s, and he directed a lot oh. of shit. And there were just some scenes in this that I thought were well done. There's one of my all-time favorite Brady scenes, and I'll talk about it. All righty. So Bobby runs into the house He's screaming, Mom, Alice! He's like, Mom, Alice, Mom, and then he adds Dad. Yeah. And no one's there. Greg, though, is Greg's like, like I'm, Bobby, on the phone. I'm on the phone. And he's on the phone with Rachel, really trying to... He, he is... is Laying it on thick. He's like, I really liked meeting you. And Bobby doesn't give a shit that Greg's on the phone. He has to tell someone his good news. He keeps yelling, I chinned myself five times. And it took me a while to figure out what he was actually saying. But fortunately, I had the closed caption. Greg finally hangs up, and Greg says, you know, that's... Good deal. You know, he says, that's that's good for a little kid your size, but, you know, I can do twice that. They end up having this stupid conversation. The conversation ends with a bet. They make a bet. By the end of the week, Greg can do two times the number of chin-ups. Bobby can. Bobby can. And whoever loses will have to do what the other person tells them to for an entire yes. week. Which is a bad, bad. bad. You hear that and you're like, uh-oh. And you know what this story's like? Tortoise in the it hair. It is a lot like tortoise And you know what else? The other day, I saw on Twitter, because somebody t- tweeted this little video, and it was a tortoise in a hair. <laughs> the tortoise just kept walking, and the hair kept, like, hopping, and then just stopping and looking around and scratching himself, and the tortoise won! And I said, it's true! It really happened. Although, the Robert Reed and me... So some of the things Bobby was doing to preparing our would actually hamper. Yes, I agree. He would have hurt. Yes, because if he's not used to it, he his muscles would hurt. If you want to do a bunch of chin-ups, is you do chin-ups. Yeah, I was going to say just practice chin-ups. Yes, but he might have been doing that. We didn't see it. So we we keep seeing him training. Peter comes up and Bobby tells him about the bat, and Peter looks, you know, just kind of like, oh, Mm -hmm. Peter doesn't really. No, he's not really into this. Mike comes home. He looks at the mail. They make a joke about bills, as always. But they're selling for Fremont High. Mike's 20th reunion is the next week. Which apparently is in the same city area. It's going to be Saturday night. Which is like... And then Mike starts reminiscing about... Like our reunion, it was like, we usually start months in advance. Yes, maybe they did. Rounding people up. But he starts reminiscing about the nicknames, like Smasher, Duran. Everyone has nicknames. The girl asked him what his was. And, and he wouldn't tell her. It turns she, out it was Hot Lips. Yeah, because she, she's like, I'll just ask somebody. And he's like, you wouldn't. It's like, of course I would do. And she laughs derisively. Yeah, he's like, Hot Lips. And she's like, yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the boys' room. Greg's on the bed. Marsha goes in to borrow a dictionary. She says, how come you're not out there doing push-ups? Greg kind of sneers. And, and then they start joking about how. Yeah, and, you know, I could, and Marsha's like, I hope Cindy learns a lesson. Cause she's always saying, like, she can make her bed faster than me and get dressed faster than me. And like, it's the same that. thing. Greg's very Greg's like Much like the hair. And, right, and Greg's sure he's going to win. And he goes, I have some interesting stuff planned for the little character. <laughs> and they're both so like, Ugh. yeah. Then we go back to the subplot. And Mike's den. He's looking and at his ear. Carol's like, like, looking I Carrie. Let him pick you out, and I'm like, yeah, because I'm sure his fucking name is there. So of course. Oh, that's true. Him. And he probably doesn't look much different. Well, I mean, because he's really thin. In fact, the guy I went to high school with was just in the store the other day. He didn't appear to want to talk to me. I said, hi, how's it oh, going? Sorry, bro. And Who he's was just, it? he's just like, Who was it? wait, uh, he's just like, oh hi, and then he just like walked off. Who was it? He might not have known who I was. Uh, his name was. I didn't know him very well. He cut his finger off and shop. But then Mike says he had a wild crush on a girl named Bobo. He and Carol end up doing a bet because she she wants to figure out who Bobo is. And so they do the same bet as Greg and Bobby. Which... Yeah. Probably has a little bit different. Mm, I would think. Would think <laughs> I said, Mike's, if Mike. Put it this way if there's certain things one of them has wanted to do in the sack that the other one yes. refused, this would be the time to yes. do it. And I thought she was. Which, of course, I thought she was, just look at the earbuds. Yes, and pick the that's what I thought, too. Out she's going to figure out 
figure it out at the reunion. We find out later. Alice is making Bobby. A vitamin drink, whatever. It looks like chocolate milk. But it tastes really bad. But Alice points out, this is what I always gave Greg when he was trying out for football. So Bobby drinks it. And then Mike comes by. And he says, you don't want to hurt yourself. And then he's showing. We're doing, he shows him some deltoid. Pulls, which is actually a good idea. And then he also gives him a little muscle anatomy yes. lesson. And Mike says, well, you got to keep working out if, if you want to win. Yep. Then Marcia comes up. Marcia's so a bitch. Can, and Marcia says, Greg can beat you with one hand tied behind his back. Yeah. Just, you know, I don't know why you're knocking yourself out. It's like, fuck which you. Which galvanizes Bobby the way Peter telling him the teeter-totter. I know. Stupid. So we're back in the boys' room. Greg's polishing his boots. He's wearing a lavender outfit. Oh, yes. Yes. Bobby has gotten a little nervous. Yeah. He, he comes up to tell Greg, that's only fair to tell you I'm up to seven now, and I'll let you out of it, you know, if you want to get out of it. And Greg's um, like, no way. Greg's like, this time next week you're going to be policy, Michael. No boots. way. I'm yeah. going to win. Go right to the contest. And by the time Bobby's up to eight, Greg, Greg, Greg goes, looks worried. This, Greg says, yeah, I think this is the last one, but he looks nervous. Yes, he does. He does. Barry's good at that. And everybody's cheering Bobby on. Uh, Barry is always good with the subtle, like the facial, yeah. like, Bobby he does an 11. 11. Greg looks very... Marsha's like, well, he's still gonna lose. I know. I know. Why is she so rooting for Greg? Because she wants his And Greg bad. ends up flaming out at 19. <laughs> so Bobby well, the thing that I thought was funny was Peter goes to Greg. <laughs> Peter goes to Bobby. I'm rooting for you. And then he winks. He's an look, so he winks at But then he does the same thing with Greg, and Bobby looks at him, and Peter doesn't wink at him. I know. And then when Bobby wins, Bobby's like dancing around. I want, I want to. And the only one who looks happy is Cindy. Everybody's like stunned. They're like stunned this I'm like, can't anybody? Nobody's cheering for Bobby. Nobody's Cindy's giving him a big smile. Bobby's dancing around, but everybody else is just looking stunned. So I think everybody had money on Greg. The next scene is Greg in the kitchen shining Bobby's shoes. And then Alice brings in sneakers and Greg has to wash those. Yes. and then, Which is like big deal. Throw them in the freaking clothes washer. Right. And then the girls come in and say he has to drive them. And the they're library. pretty happy about yeah, it. Yeah, because Bobby said Greg's like, I'm not driving you to the yeah, library. No, they're no, like, Bobby. yes, you Bobby are. said so. And he has to sandpaper the skateboard or something. And clean Bobby's bike. And then it shows him late at night in his bathroom, and he's about to tuck into a piece of pie, and Alice takes it away from him and says, that's the last piece of pie, and Bobby said he wanted it. So Greg, I mean, and I don't blame Bobby for the same act. Carol is pouring... Pouring over the yearbook, and Mike is pre- <laughs> he's pretending to be asleep. So I keep he starts saying names. She's like, says out loud, "Oh, so I wonder which one would be Bobo." Mike goes, "Sam," and asleep. And then he says, "Well, he's not really asleep." I know. And, he he says another name. and then what was the last one? He says some, like, some weird. Helen or something. Uh, no, it's like some log. No, yeah, I don't care. Like, oh, Zelda. He says Zelda. Zelda. You're not asleep. And then, and then they probably have sex. Yes, theoretically. And then Greg's on the phone. With Rachel. With Rachel. And he is making a date. And Bobby's like, oh, that sounds good to me. Because Bobby's going to go on a date. And Greg tries to put his foot down. This is not part of the bed. Bobby's like, I'm going to tell Mom and Dad. And they run into the kitchen. And they're both yelling at Carol at the same time. And Mike comes in and he's like, what's all this about? Bobby and Greg each explain. And Greg says, you know, dates are different. And, Greg, and Greg seems, like, desperate. Yeah. And, like, he's well, not he going to get his hand job. Exactly. And Carol's like, well, the vet did include everything. And Mike is just so happy to and say. Mike, yes. When you make a bet, you have to pay off. And no bet is a sure thing. Yeah, have you learned your lesson, Greg? So now we're on the date, who Rachel is a spinning image of both Jenny Wilton and Kathy, the head cheerleader. Because she's played by Hope Schwartz. Yes. 
And in the credits, she's Hope Sherwood. She's Sherwood Schwartz's daughter. Her acting is fine. It's nope. just funny that she's in that so often. And this is, I remember this scene well from when I was a kid. I really liked the scene. I think it's done really well. And, you know, I've complained with some other episodes today about long extended joke things. And this could have easily have been that. But the interplay between the three people yes. in the car, Bobby, Greg, and Rachel... Is really funny. And Rachel seems a little pissed. Yes, she's the actress, I'll say, does a good job of being annoyed. When Greg tries to put his arm around Rachel, <laughs> and he's like, hey, you're black of my view. He's being deliberately annoying, he's which being... a lot of boys his age would be. Yes, and he makes Greg go get him some pizza. And then he's like talking to Rachel, and she's just like, Right, Bobby uh... gets in the front seat. <laughs> he's talking with her, and he's, she's like, let's just watch the movie. And Greg brings up pizza back. Bobby's sitting between him, and Rachel says, you know, I think it would be a good idea if Bobby sits in the back seat. And it, to his credit, Bobby does yeah. go into the back seat. <laughs> then he makes Greg put, and I always remember this, he makes Greg put the roof down, and Greg doesn't want to, and it's because it goes up before it goes yes. down. Everybody's honking, and <laughs> then Bobby blocky. takes out an umbrella and puts it over him. And it's just such a great, that is so funny. Because Bobby made Greg put the roof up, and the umbrella is going through the roof. And, and I'm like, Mike is going to be Yeah, pissed. Greg is like, that is his convertible. is going to be pissed. Oh, but, but it's but so we, funny. Just the comedy in that scene and the yes. way it's done. And maybe it's due to the director. Yeah. Like I said, it could have been. But I've always said the chemistry with the boys is good. Yes. Well, and the girls is too. Girls. But we had two brothers. And it reminded me of them where the younger one is being a little asshole. Yes. And, and the older one is the older one. And Greg is so pissed because, and Rachel too. Well, she's she, she's the day. quieter about it, but I think they were going to... Well, get it on. Uh, face. You know, the interaction between the boys is funnier. I feel like the writers with their kind of gender limits well, give true. the boys funnier things to do. And then we're back at the house. Mike and Carol are home from the reunion, and Carol guesses who Bobo is. Because, first of all, she knows what Mike likes. She knows what he doesn't like. Also, Bobo came up and introduced herself. Yeah. Which, to me, that's not really, well, doesn't count. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's... Then, the, you know, the boys are home, and Mike is skin pissed about his rag top. It's going to cost $150 to fix, and I guess $150 is just the symbol that's for everything people, expensive. That's what, things, that's what the studio cost in the other one. Bobby's contrite, and he's learned... He says he'll pay for it. And he's learned three lessons. Mike says, as he always says, I hope you've learned something, and it turns out Bobby's learned three things. Yep. Never bet, because even if you win, you lose. Yes. Two... If you're going to boss someone around, don't be me. Yeah, well, that's nice to And three... Never take an umbrella to a drive-in if you're driving a convertible. Yeah, so he did learn a lot of things. Mike is getting into bed... And Carol waits till he's all... She's smiling, which makes smiling. me think Mike's going to be doing a lot of oral sex this week. Yes. Instead, we have an extended, annoying scene. She tells him she wants to read her book, so he has to get up and fetch the book. And then he asks, is there anything else? Oh, not that I can think. But she says to him, Bobo, when he kind of Oh, yes. He gets back into bed and asks if there's anything... Well, he's getting back in and says, is there anything else? And he goes, no, no, I can think of. And then... Once he's all settled in... I need a tissue. Mm-hmm. And then he gets back in bed, and she says she needs something else. A good night a kiss. kiss, yes. He says in a very gay way, do I have to? But I and think, then they both laugh. But I think from now on, Bobo oh, is going to be the code word for... Because he says Bobo, too. For, yes, for kind of lingus. Yes. Oh, and I didn't mention, but the scene where Bobby was trying to get brain power, somebody makes a remark about him... You know, it must be nice being the guy who knows everything. It reminded me of the scene in Broadcast News with Holly Hunter 
where the guy says, it must be nice to know more than everybody else, to know better than everybody else what's going on, to be the person who knows everything. She goes, no, it's not. It's awful. (laughs) So did you have a fun fact? I did. When Jan is asking Mike about genetics, he goes, well, I'm not Luther Burbank. And I'm like, who the hell is Luther Burbank? So I went and looked it up. And it turned out Luther Burbank, he was actually born on a farm, one of 18 kids, in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Very early on, he developed a potato that now has become the biggest selling potato in Russet. He was became a biologist. But when was this? He died in 1926. Okay. So... It was. 1800s, yeah. But he ended up, and I won't go into all the boring details, be, becoming a biologist who, through genetics, managed to develop the delicious brands of apples, like Red Delicious and Golden Delicious, different potatoes, and also contributed hugely to the study of how genetics and hybrids Ooh. make fruit and vegetables. He probably learned his name at some point. But So he was an expert on, geneti- on plant genetics, though, so it's, it was a little weird that Mike would bring Well, out. you know, he said he, he you know. I don't really have a fun fact, but I read in one of our books, and we did try to look this up, it must have been in the Schwartz's book. Brady, Brady, Brady. I'm pretty sure it was in theirs. I think it was. But they mentioned that Imogene Coca was kind of shy mm-hmm. and didn't talk to many people on the set, which is weird because the character of Aunt Jenny is very outgoing. Well, yeah. she was an actress. And she was good. At, I thought she was good in the role. If you're our age or older, you'd remember her more. She was on a comedy team with Sid Caesar mm. in the 50s, like your show shows, and she's hilarious. She's very, she's she's very, very talented. And she was also on a Sherwood Schwartz show, which I'm probably the only person who remembers. It's about time. Oh, where they were it's space. Time, they were spacemen. They was, went back in time, but then they came back. So it was very funny. That only lasted like a year, according yeah, to one of the books season, I read. But I thought it was funny. I bet it's on somewhere. The other thing I wanted to say is her character kind of reminded me of somebody when I was in college, probably in my mid-twenties, I majored in art. There was an artist that was a visiting artist who was, she was not conventionally attractive at all, and she did not try to make herself attractive. She had facial hair. Was it Frida Kahlo? No. (laughs) Frida Kahlo is attractive, even though she had facial hair. But her personality was very compelling. People were like, so awed by her and she always had like a gaggle of people around her and she was always any gathering like because it was an art department you know people were always yeah we always were smoking pot and doing stuff like there was always like people around her she was just one of those people that people gravitated toward her and I remember at the time I was probably more invested in how I looked than I should have been and it just it didn't puzzle me it just was almost like an epiphany to me that like almost it was like like, you know, she doesn't care. That is not an important part of who she is, and no one else cares either. So me, so me not caring how I looked my whole life didn't give you that epiphany. No. <laughs> but, I mean, just saying that the fact that not only did she not care, but nobody that encountered her said, wow, she's kind of ugly, but she's really right. cool. It was more like, oh, my God, so-and-so's here, and she's amazing, and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't like I thought, ooh, I don't think she's, I don't know. It's, I was the same way. I'm like, wow, she's, I thought it was a valuable lesson, just yes. put it that way. Anyway, so next week, the first one is The Power of the Press. Oh, good. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll have a lot to say about that one. Next one is episode 20 of season three, Emma. I remember that one very well. Episode 21, Cindy Brady, Lady. Hmm. 
is a Cindy episode, a rare Cindy episode. That's right. Episode 22, My Fair Opponent. And the last one, episode 23, The Fender Bender. And you can find us on our website, GroovyTube Podcast. Yes. Email <laughs> I always just say yes. You can email us like the person concerned about our favorite quote did. at GroovyTubePodcast at gmail.com. You can if you us- have a concern. Or I would like people to email some memories and stuff. Pretty much memories. You've got to be, you know. We know you're out there. We see the stats. So yeah. And you can find us on Twitter, GroovyTube Pod, on Facebook. Just do GroovyTube and on Instagram. We like to put up screenshots with. I put them up on the thing about Facebook is it's easy to make the slideshow right on Facebook. Yes. So that's how I do it. Yeah, you do some nice slides. But it's not as easy to find software to make a good slideshow that I can then put on Instagram. I've tried, but it always, like, moves it moves the picture around, yeah. like, in this artsy way, but you can't that's read the, the caption. I know, effect. but even if you take it off, it doesn't. It's yeah, doing that. Yeah, Maybe Dan, somebody can email me and tell me. Damn Ken Burns and his fucking Ken effect. Burns. You know what, you know what? Ken? You fucked everything up. I do want to watch that Vietnam one, though. I do, too. I haven't watched it yet, but I do want to watch it. So that's for another podcast. So join us next time. Until next time. Stay groovy. And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.